Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, Conrad, it's StarCast week. How in the hell else can we be? Man, I am fired up about it. It has just been announced that not only did we add good old JR to Sunday's lineup, but we've just started to release day passes for StarCast. So by the time you're hearing this, StarCast is in full swing. And if you thought, eh, I don't know that I can really swing all four days, man, we have got you situated now at fight.tv. You can get a day pass for as little as 20 bucks. Go check it no out. Way. I know. Right. So last night you and Eric Bischoff went toe to toe in the Monday night war debate. I was the moderator and you can go check it out right now at fight.tv and later tonight, Bruce. Your life is ruined forever. The roast of Bruce Pritchard. And man, I've got uh, some celebrity guests from your past and some professional comedians who are ready to roast your ass. Why do they want to roast my ass, Conrad? I'm a nice guy. I thought it would be fun. And hopefully you think it is too. Go check it out right now if you haven't already. It's fight.tv. I should mention too that uh, we had a little boo boo in last week's episode that everybody corrected us on. Actually, it was you. That's what no, you I had a boo boo. I misspoke. I, I And I even said when I talked about us, I don't know what the hell it was, but thank you to our audience who actually did the research and listened up for me. And I, I'd commented that when we started with GPN and CW. It was actually UPN and the WB network. The WWWB. Remember that singing frog? No. Was what was that again? Do that for that me. That was a yeah. singing frog. The WWWB. That's fucked up, man. No, I love that. How the hell could I forget that? Well, the WWWB uh, went away and merged to the CW network, and that's where I came up with CW. So thank you guys for pointing that out to us, and uh, greatly appreciate it. And we're coming up in San Antonio, September 15th. WWE is hammering hell in a cell on all their programming right now, but that's not what you need to be focused on. You need to come see Bruce and I the night before September 15th. Tickets are available right now at brucepritchard.com. You can also get all your t-shirts, your autographs, anything you want from Bruce Pritchard, man, that's available at brucepritchard.com. And Bruce, we have, uh, just recently announced there it is. Get it. We've got a uh, tour of Europe coming up. You can check that out at UKSTW.com or of course at brucepritchard.com. And don't forget the rest of the shows this year, Los Angeles. How about early next year? The Royal rumble. I don't think we've been talking about that one enough. The venue yeah. for the Royal rumble show is like two blocks from the stadium. So you'll be able to walk there. This is an unbelievable location and stand up live is going to make this a once in a lifetime experience because it's a super show. Everybody who's anybody is going to be on this Royal rumble card. And of course, Bruce and I had to be involved our first trip through North Carolina and so much more all available right now at brucepritchard.com. But what we're doing today is we're talking about SummerSlam 1988, but before we do, we need to talk about something that a lot of guys listening could hear about getting a little lazier, a little softer, a little fatter, ageless male max wants to bring the men of this country back to greatness. And now they've got a patent pending formula with an ingredient that's going to help boost your total testosterone, which is going to promote greater increases in muscle size and twice the reduction in body fat as compared to just exercise alone. So check it out right now. Get your 30 day bottle for free. All you've got to do is pay your shipping and handling. 
Now this is 30 days, not 10 days, not 15 days, a full 30 day supply, absolutely free. And all you've got to do is text the word slam. That's S L A M to seven, nine, seven, nine, seven, nine. Again, if you're looking to boost your total testosterone, ageless male max is your hookup. Now, if your results are too intense, decrease the use, cut it back. But here's the deal. You're going to love the way you feel. Go to your text messaging and go ahead and type in the word slam S L A M and send it to seven, nine, seven, nine, seven, nine. And remember message and data rates apply. And today, Bruce, we're kicking an old school. We're going to do a watch along for SummerSlam 88. Of course, we've got tons of notes here, but man, there was a lot less information available back in 88. So we thought, why not pair it with actually watching the show? So Bruce, let's give them an old countdown here. And hopefully you've got it fired up on your end. August 29th, 1988 on the WWE network, SummerSlam 1988. Bruce, give us a countdown. All right, guys. Now remember, let the, let the first little WWE signature go and zero out on the very start of SummerSlam. And I'm going to count down. I'm going to say three, two, one play. And when I hit play, you hit play on your, uh, your little thing there. You ready to go Conrad? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Here we go in three, two, one play. And now you see the, the, the nice plane as it is just traveling along through the mountains and that nice little lake going through there. And you realize it's actually the WWF, the symbol of excellence. What the world is watching. Dude, this is my favorite open of all. This is the one I grew up on and that like music, it felt like it was very top gun and what a cool scene we've got here. Flying high atop New York City. A look at what it looked like in 1988, of course, with the Twin Towers there. And there's the most famous arena of them all, Madison Square Garden. And this was a big deal. We actually shot this. We got a guy to take us up on a plane and shoot that. You mean a helicopter? No, it was a plane. Really? Yeah, it was pretty cool. And uh, the music open with the mega, you see the mega power. No, well, those are actually the mega bucks. And referee against the mega powers man let me tell you what was funny to me is i watched this this past week with cassio kid just doing some show prep getting ready and he lost his shit laughing that the first person when the pay-per-view started the first person you see is fucking virgil well yeah it's just hilarious to us you know it's not hulk hogan it's not macho man it's not the million dollar man it's not andre the damn giant it's virgil and here we are uh, and, and, uh, they're calling it the Mecca arena, Madison square garden. It's just fun to go back and do a little people watching here. And one of the things that I saw a lot of comments about when we first mentioned we were doing this show is the horrible commentary from superstar Billy Graham. Oh, come on. It would have to improve a lot to be horrible. Isn't it amazing though, that you've got some guys who are just a tremendous promo and superstar Billy Graham is certainly one of those. A lot of people would say, and you look at his like goatee here and you think, oh, Scott Steiner's ripping him off. But there were so many other people who were really borrowing from superstar Billy Graham, whether it was Jesse Ventura or Hulk Hogan, or there were so many guys who he was a big influence over. And you can actually tell, you know, when you're listening to some of his old promos, who's been influenced by him, but then you put him in this spot and it's just a miss. Why do you think that is? I don't, well, because superstar was great talking about superstar. Superstar was not great talking about other people. And like I say, he looked great. He was, he was the influencer, man. He influenced so many guys in the business. It is, 
it's pathetic, but every every big bodybuilder guy that you see and that had that rap, Superstar Billy Graham, he ripped it off from Muhammad Ali, and everybody else ripped it off from Superstar Billy Graham and just made it their own. Superstar was, uh, like you said, man, he was a great promo guy. Vince thought he would be great on color, uh, and he absolutely stunk. But Vince made a commitment to him, and it was my charge, make it work, God Damn, work with him. Get him better. Um, but the problem was, one of the problems, a lot of times when you would be in Madison Square Garden or you'd be in Philadelphia, the only person that could talk to the talent was the director. And a lot of times the director was someone from uh, from their own place. So it was it was difficult to do. And uh, that shows some strength right there by Davey Boy, Davey Boy Smith lifting Matilda up. Hey, so let's talk about what we're seeing right now. We've got the Rougeaus who are already in the ring and, uh, the British Bulldogs have just come down with Matilda, as you said, and I love watching stuff from this era because so much of this is really what I grew up on. I mean, I first became introduced to wrestling after WrestleMania four, and that was the most recent pay-per-view. And this is the very first SummerSlam. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about that in a minute, but first, you know, I can't help myself. I absolutely love the fabulous Rougeau theme music. I want you to just scroll through your Rolodex of uh, caricatures that you like to do and help me do the uh, Rougeau theme song. All American Boys? Yeah. Well, that was a Jimmy Hart deal, man. That was something that, that we came over. Just All American Boys! All American! Yeah, it was. No, come on. That was weak sauce. So I can do better well, that than was... that. That was actually how we sang it. That was me and Jimmy sitting there and trying to sing it like that, trying to show Vince what it would sound like. And it was the, it was the Rougeos that we put in the, in the studio to go and sing it. That was good shit. It was good. And it's funny because it's one of those themes. I remember all these years later. And what's great is it wasn't until very recently that I understood. I mean, obviously it's a rib because they're French Canadian or whatever, but the idea of being quote unquote, all American boys, and then carrying the tiny flags, as opposed to right. the giant flags, the tiny flag thing only dawned on me in most recent years that that was a way to get heat because they're saying they're all American, but they have these little baby flags and they're wearing the Florida de lis on their, on their trunks, on their, on their trunks and their boots. Yeah. Yeah. And speak with that strong French Canadian accent. So yeah, of course it was. And, and. That was the entire point of it, that they wanted to embrace America. and But yet, yeah, the little tiny flags and waving them just ad nauseum. How fucking great is it that you guys put Matilda on a little stand? Like, like you know, we saw that stand for the, see right there. You've got, Dude, that. she's got to watch the match. It's just hilarious to me because that WCW did that a lot for like a cameraman. And you guys, nope, <laughs> doing it for the fucking dog. Well, nobody was doing it for the cameraman at this stage of the game in 1988, but, but she's the manager of the British Bulldogs. How else can she give the Bulldogs advice if she can't see the damn match? That's hilarious. So as a reminder here, this goes down at the end of August, of course, Madison square garden. It's funny that all these years later, they're back in New York city. Of course, Barclays instead, 20,000 folks here, man. And this is uh, the very first SummerSlam. chat me up. Who thought of the name SummerSlam? We've told us before that Howard Finkel really gets the credit for WrestleMania, but they weren't all home run ideas. You told us last week he wanted to name SmackDown WrestleTown. So what? <laughs> no, did, we didn't. 
That was that was an exaggeration, Conrad. That listen, was just a, a what if moment. You fucking stop of our story. Yes, thank you. God, I like the truth okay. getting in the way of a good story. Vince never said chocolate titties either. All right, stop it. Chat me well, up here. Who came up with the name SummerSlam? I remember Vin, I remember the meeting very vividly. That events telling me. So I don't know who came up with it, other than sitting in a room one day and Vince goes, we're going to do SummerSlam. I'm like, what is SummerSlam? Uh, and he goes, we're going to do a, a summer pay-per-view. The end of the summer, he goes, get this, the Mega Bucks versus the Mega Powers. And I'm like, all right. You know, that was a pretty damn cool thing because it was, it was Andre involved and it was Hulk, Hulk involved and it got ran. It, it was... It was interesting. It was really interesting, but I just heard it out of the blue right after WrestleMania or right before WrestleMania, I guess it was, um, that this is what we're doing. There wasn't, this one wasn't something that was talked about a lot, you know, right. concept wise. And what are we going to do? This is, we're going to have this show. We're going to have this event. And I don't think that anybody really even thought even going back to Survivor Series, is is this going to be an annual deal? I don't think anybody really thought SummerSlam was going to be an annual deal. We just thought, hey, we've got this big event, going to go to the Garden, and let's have this show on pay-per-view. So in 1988, when we first started working on it, nobody thought there was going to be a SummerSlam 89, much less a SummerSlam 30 years later on pay-per-view. Yeah, it is pretty hard to believe, you know, how quickly time flies. I mean, I remember this show and to think about the fact that that means I'm 30 years older. It's a little weird. And this is, uh, you're 30 years old. I'm 30 years older than the first time I saw this for sure. So let's so talk. How old were you when you saw this? First seven, time? seven. Okay. I had just well. gotten into wrestling. Uh, earlier that summer and, uh, we didn't get the pay-per-view, but of course I got the VHS, um, Madison square garden, man. What an important venue for you guys. Of course, the first WrestleMania is there. The first summer slams there, and it's been, you know, sort of his and him being Vince McMahon. It's been his like uh, home arena, even before he was involved in the company. How do you think Vince took it very recently when new Japan and ring of honor not only ran the building, but sold it out. I think that there's a big part of him that was probably hurt pretty bad. Just thinking about the tradition of his, his grandfather and his father promoting in the garden and him promoting in the garden that, but at the same time, man, the Vince McMahon of today is, is grown a lot too. And I think he sees it as, all right, it's part of, it's part of growing and it's part of progression. We'll have a new home and move on so you know now matilda here is she's listening she's listening to the audience as you saw that because she's she's <laughs> i don't know if that's tony chimmel that's that's petting her and telling her hey just check out the match but she's she's into it people love matilda it's amazing you know it's the the dog the, the least animated dog ever but it's a fucking mascot and people loved Matilda, man. I mean, she was over like Rover and she Rover did. was on that other show. Who, who was more influential, uh, 
Elizabeth or Matilda. They did about the same. You know, the, you know what they, they did. They ran, they ran one in the same and true story. When we did the manager poll and we used to do those things every once in a while, do a vote who the, the best manager is Matilda got more than anybody. It's the best. Well, yeah, of course, it's a dog eat dog world. So you got to go to a dog for that kind of advice. This sort of rounds out, um, the big four here for years and years, the WWF sort of hung their hat on four major events, the Royal rumble in January, WrestleMania in late March, early April, SummerSlam in August, and then survivor series in November. And at this point, of course, survivor series, 87 was already a thing. Royal rumble in 88 was already a thing. And of course, WrestleMania is the franchise. Was the idea, you know, after you guys rolled out SummerSlam, we're going to make this our fourth major event and that's it. Or when did you sort of know that, Hey, we're going to have four major events. Well, actually I got to correct you there, Conrad. Cause see, we hadn't done the pay-per-view Royal rumble yet. Yeah. Just the USA network special. Yeah. But we didn't, we didn't even think that that was going to be a pay-per-view at that time here at this point, we're thinking, okay. We've done WrestleMania. We're going to do a summer one, and then we'll do a winter one with uh, Survivor Series. Rumble wasn't even in the picture yet. Rumble didn't come into the picture until after the success of SummerSlam. And Vince got to thinking, well, hell. Let's do another um, one. Let's do another one. Yeah. So um, then we've got four. We've got four tent poles then. Um, wasn't even, yeah, wasn't even in the discussion yet. That's how, how crazy when you think about it. Now, Vince probably was thinking this, this whole time, you know, that he's going to have four or five, I'll do one every month. And everybody would think he was absolutely crazy, but the model is I've stated so many times before it was all about house shows and it was all about going to the local towns and that's where you made your money. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because this is such a foreign concept to think about now, but. There was no raw here. There is no SmackDown. All you've got is primetime wrestling and wrestling challenge. And those shows are mostly, you know, I I know the phrase isn't polite, but it's jobber matches. It's squash matches. It's enhancement talent versus name talent. And then lots of promos, which is definitely the formula. So this was really the only way to see competitive matches, unless you went out to a house show. And this is years before the business sort of became what it is now, like where house shows are maybe, I don't know, the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, most important thing. The company does now it was number one back then from a revenue standpoint, right? It was, that was the entire model of the company. And it was all about, uh, producing house shows and doing live events. And that's where you got the return on your investment. The television show was a one hour commercial to promote everything else. You know, we've, we've talked about this. It's probably been two years since we talked about this. We haven't even, I guess we have been doing it two years now, but you've sort of made, um, note of the fact, man, dynamite kid was the man. If you haven't watched this, you need to go back and see it just because we see so little dynamite on these podcasts, but you get to really appreciate what a performer he was, but you've mentioned before that the circus, believe it or not, was actually something that Vince used almost as a barometer for how business was, because in theory, and this is a stretch here, but you got to, you know, listen all the way through They're a live event business. So they're taking sort of their show on the road and they're trying to sell tickets. And then when you go to the event, they're going to try to sell you swag, you know, merchandise and gimmicks and things like that. 
And that really is what the business was. Now, of course, we know Barnum and Bailey, not even a thing anymore, which is hard to imagine here in America. So uh, sad. It, it is weird that it's gone because it was, and I know that they were cruel to animals and I get all that, but I'm saying as a kid, it was a big deal to go to the circus. So that's what I'm sort of referencing here. Well, their model didn't really change like that circus model, even up until the end was really based on, Hey, you got to come out and see it. It's a live event. It's an attraction. Whereas WWE has just really changed everything with television, with pay-per-view, with licensing, with television rights. And there's just so many different opportunities. When do you think Vince realized, I mean, is there a conversation or a moment in time where you remember there being a bit of a paradigm shift with Vince, like the house shows are important, but they're not the only thing. Cause right here, they're really the number one thing. And you start to see the rise of pay-per-view buys. And obviously he's tinkered with some action figures here and there. Those have done well, but when do you remember house shows becoming less and less of a priority because he saw gold in other areas? Uh, priority may be the wrong term, but, but, but as far as revenue for the company, when we started getting big television rights, that's when it changed. And with the big television rights and also with the competition from WCW that we realized Man, we've we've got to change the product, and we have to be able to compete. We've got to do it on television. We're getting paid for that. In addition to the house, you know, you're just not getting the house show. You're now getting a television rights fee. That's when it really started to change. And, and it's funny when you talk about even the comparisons with the circus. In later years, the circus started stealing out of our book, where it became two different events at the circus where you could get there early and you could, it's like a meet and greet. You could go and pet the animals and get up close with the animals and the clowns. And you, they had when they, especially when they would run the big stadiums, half of the stadium was a meet and greet with the stars and, uh, get a ride the elephants and, and get close to the lions and the tigers and bears and oh my. see all the clowns. Oh my. Yeah. Um, that that's how they kept their business going even longer than it probably should have gone. But we looked at, you know, you talk about live events, man, we looked at concerts, but yeah, the circus, that was, that was a big, big one for us that we used to compare because it was the same audience that, um, you know, could, that were paying the same money to come and see us. Man, they're having a heck of a match here. You know, this is sort of old school. I mean, when was the last time you saw a move like that? The abdominal stretch? Yeah, I mean, the abdominal stretch used to be just a Too state. long. I mean, what happened to it? Well, I, I think that for a lot of respects, man, that used to be a finisher. Wilbur Snyder, man, that was his finish. When he locked in the abdominal stretch, man, the match was over. And then guys started using it kind of as a, as a rest hold and to catch their breath in the middle of a match. And the damn thing hurts when put on properly. And then guys just started using it as, as a spot, a rest spot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about what the company is doing on your way in here. I mean, you guys are on fire here and you probably wouldn't see this type of this level of business really for another 10 years until you get to. 1998, I guess, but you guys just ran like a month, less than a month before this, 
the stadium in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee County Stadium, and you hosted WrestleFest 1988. Now, I'm mentioning this because it was a major show, but as you said, it wasn't a pay-per-view. Instead, this was taped and went straight to VHS. So you guys were certainly trying some different things here where I assume the cost of producing a video cassette was much less than producing a pay-per-view. Not really. Uh, you didn't have the satellite time that you didn't have to pay for to be able to distribute the damn thing live, but it, you still had the cost of bringing in the cameras, but you didn't have the cost of as many production people. It was a bare knuckles crew and we just had cameras and we'd send a director to direct the cameras and all, everything was on ISO so they could cut it later, but there wasn't that attention to running a show it was still just a big house show that was being recorded. 25,866 fans are there. Uh, they had a couple of dark matches on that one. Boss man over Scott Casey, Brutus Barber over, uh, Hercules. By the way, can you believe that Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake is at Starcast this weekend? Well, yeah, because it's all about big, big talent, big names. My God. Uh, the Rougeau boys, uh, beat the killer bees, bad news. Brown, believe it or not, pinned Brett Hart, hacksaw Jim Duggan beat honky talk man by DQ. Of course, Jimmy Hart was interfering there. Uh, powers of pain beat the Bolsheviks. Jimmy Neidhart beat Lanny Poffo. Randy Savage beat Ted DiBiase and retained his world title. Rick Rude and Jake Roberts went to a double countout. King Haku beat Sam Houston. Ultimate Warrior beat Bobby Heenan in a weasel suit match. Demolition beat the British Bulldogs to retain the world tag team titles. Dino Bravo beat Ken Patera, main event anywhere in the world. And your real main event, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant in a cage match. Man, that's, uh, that's still a big deal. You know, it's funny because I think a lot of people think about Hogan and Andre and really think about WrestleMania three, but you had, you know, the main event, which we've covered extensively, the match at WrestleMania four WrestleFest, and here. And then of course, survivor series, they were on opposite sides. These guys have been, I mean, all time, where do you rank Andre as Hogan's opponent? You know, like all time Hogan opponents, Macho Man's got to be in the conversation. There's probably some others. Where's Andre for you? Always, I've always said Andre was number one. Wow. Because, because Andre, even going back before, you know, Hulk Hogan was a baby face, Hulk and Andre were able to go in and headline at the New Orleans Superdome, at Shea Stadium in Japan, wherever they went, that was an attraction even then that was a huge attraction for the local markets, local promoters. A stadium show like that. What challenges does that represent besides weather? Weather's the biggest one. Really. It's no different than any other show you go in and you know, you got your show and you, and you knock it out. This was something that the, the brewers had brought to us and they wanted something in their stadium. It was something different. So we got a great deal on it. We partnered with the brewers and they plugged the living shit out of it, uh, all the way through, you know, the, the summer. So it was, it was good. And it was a good partnership. We decided when we saw how tickets were going, well, we might as well record the damn thing and make a pay, not a pay-per-view, make a, uh, video out of it. So chat me up, you know, you've got the threat of rain, of course. 
you're going to have, have to worry about shooting around the sun. Uh, that's obviously going to throw off some of your lighting. The sound isn't going to be there for the guys in the ring as much because it just goes up into space. There's no top on the thing. And obviously, you know, it's not air conditioned. So it's probably hotter for the guys. Are guys sort of bitching and moaning a little bit about working a stadium show or not so much? Not when they see 25,000 people. No, there you go. It's easy to do when there's a lot of people there. You know, I, uh, I've watched enough wrestling to know that I feel like, uh, the end is near here. Well, by God, now that you see that big press slam coming, it's, it's gotta be soon. Dude. What a maneuver that was a press slam, like rocket launcher maneuver. Dynamite's Dynamite's making the cover, but he's saying, Hey, we're not the legal man. This isn't going to work. Well, no, the damn bell's wrong. Oh, wow. There you go. Dude, this, this, the time limit has expired on this matchup. Oh my goodness. What are we going to do? Well, Conrad, there's only one thing you can do that. That's a time limit draw. That means there is no winner or well, both guys are winners. I don't think anybody had that pegged, but, um, I wish we could have put some money on that. You know, a lot of people ask us for our advice. And they want to know who's going to win here. Who's going to win there. Well, you gotta go check out my bookie. I always tell everybody to bet with my bookie and trust me, guys, this is the best bet this season. Football is right around the corner. And this is the place where you want to lay all your action. They've been in business for years. They've got great reviews online, their mobile site, super easy to use. And they've got live in-game betting. So you don't have to place it before kickoff. You're good. And they've got tons of uh, player perks, maybe the most in the business. You can even bet on the over under and even fantasy points. Now that's my favorite. So fantasy points and being that being something you can bet on is a new wrinkle in the gaming world. So lay down some cash and win big today. And when you win, they will pay. Tell them about our special offer today, Bruce. Yeah, but even better than that, because I love my bookie. If you join right now. My bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. All you got to do is use the promo code wrestle to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's my bookie M Y B O O K I E. Use our promo code wrestle and whatever deposit you put in, my bookie is going to match it dollar for dollar. Okay. Don't forget our code wrestle. You play, you win, you get paid. Can't recommend them enough. Uh, my friends and I used them last year. And how about, I, I feel like outlaw Ron Bass might be a bookie here. He's dragging Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake around by his bull whip. And this is something I remember like it was yesterday. And I can't wait to talk about this because we've, we've often alluded to this, but we've never actually seen it on the show like this. This is one of the more famous angles of 1988. Is it not? You better believe it. And it was something that people talked about for a long, long time. Bass getting the spur in his hand there. And now it's time to go to cutting on the barber. It's going to give the barber a different kind of a uh, head cut, if you will. It's so fun to me now that, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm still a dumbass for wrestling. But now that I know a little more, you can just plainly see where he, <laughs> you know, roll tide. Anyway, this is, uh, the spur across the forehead, 
Brutus the fucking barber beefcake. Censored! Is, is Censored! Bleeding. And this is the best part. Uh, you guys put the giant red X over. And I know you laugh because you think it's silly. But I as the human psychology behind this is incredible because it makes you want to pay more attention. Like you may have been not really paying that much attention before, but now you find yourself not only wanting to watch it, but trying to look around the X, like what don't they want me to see? It's so genius. Absolutely. And also, you know, the strategic, you make sure that you're getting the shots of the bloodied head so you can see, but then it goes behind the X and there's a little more blood. Then there's behind the X and it is that I want to see this so bad, but we're protecting you. We're protecting you and your children at home from having to witness the carnage that's taking place here. Of course, the locker room's empty in here. I, I should mention here that um, they're using this as a way to explain that Brutus the fucking barber beefcake is not going to be here. He, of course, was supposed to be taking on the honky tonk man for the intercontinental title, but they've used this as a way to explain that he is not going to be challenging for that belt. So he's no showed here. Chat me up about uh, that first match. Of course, we just mentioned it went to a 20 minute time limit draw. Meltzer gave it two and a half stars. I liked it. You know, maybe uh, that's the old school in me, but I think it's better than two and a half stars. What say you? I did too, because the guys were great workers. They were both teams were great workers and they were able to go out and tell a hell of a story. And I thought that the match itself was excellent. There were no lulls and, and they told a good story. Right now we've got, um, the man of the hour, bad news, Brown in the ring here. He's going to be taking on Ken Patera. And I, you know, I, I got to tell you, I came along at a time when Ken Patera was wrapping up. I'm not a Ken Patera guy. Does that make me a bad person? Yes. That makes you a bad person. Uh, I, I remember when Ken Patera first broke into the business with Vern Gagne and they sent him down to Texas to learn the ropes. And Ken was a baby face cause he was an Olympian and what have you. And he was doing the best to learn the business. But when Ken Patera bleached his hair blonde and became a heel and turned his back on America, I thought it was, he was one of the best heels ever in the business. He had always been a heel in the WWF. I mean, with his big run with the blonde hair and all that, as you said, but now he's here doing the brown haired routine and this is post prison stint and he's trying to, I mean, talk us through the silliness of that angle. Well, the idea was a man had paid his debt to society. He had come out and we just told the story, you know, that, that his manager, Bobby Heenan had forgotten all about him and not taking care of him while he was away and not taking care of his family. And he came back to exult revenge on, on Heenan in the, idea was that the audience could get behind it and, and want to help him. Uh, I still think Kenny was better heel. No doubt. What was his relationship like with Vince McMahon? You know, they had hot and cold relationship, uh, over the years and Vince took care of his family when he was away doing his time, made sure that, that they were taken care of during that time. So it was, it was weird, but Kenny had, you know, they just would go back and forth sometimes. And, and it was Ken's a real independent guy, uh, very outspoken. Um, I always considered him a friend and thank God I always got, <laughs> got along with him. Wouldn't want to be on his bad side. And it, it just, um, 
Ken wanted to do what Ken wanted to do, and Ken wanted it to be, you know, 1985 all over again when he was on top of the world. We should mention here that the reason Ken wound up going to prison is he had an incident at a McDonald's, and then when the police came, he uh, put up quite a fight, and it became a whole situation. So chat me up. When he's back here, is anybody ribbing him about that? Is it still a topic of conversation? I mean, it's not often that one of the boys goes to prison while he's an active wrestler. Of course, there's been stories of guys who have gone on to have great fame in wrestling where before their wrestling life started, maybe they got in a little bit of trouble, but in the middle of your run, going to prison and then coming back kind of unheard of. Yeah. And I also don't think that, uh, that's something you rib somebody about. Sure. Cause he lost a lot of years of his life in, in, in prison. And that wasn't something that he found very funny. So I, I don't know of anybody that ever would have ribbed him about that. Plus, Ken was the kind of guy that uh, not a lot of guys are going to want to rib because you don't want to piss him off. It was it was an unfortunate situation, man. They they were hungry, went to McDonald's in Waukesha, Wisconsin. The staff locked the door on them, and to retaliate, they threw a giant uh, rock through the window, and they called the cops saying, hey, there's this um, big blonde guy and a big uh, Japanese guy described them as wrestlers and cops knew where the wrestlers stayed, went and paid him a visit and it just got bad from there. But, uh, at this point, you know, Kenny had, had, had paid his time, done his, done his service and was back and we were trying to get him going here. Um, he had a name, but it just, whatever reason just did not click and didn't connect with the audience. This match is going to get a star and a quarter out of Dave Meltzer here. Two legit badasses here, though. Bad news, of course, had an extensive judo background, and Ken Patera was once upon a time considered to be one of the strongest men in the world. Um, you ever see any Ken's real life feats of strength? Yeah, I saw Ken's, you know, lifts in the Olympics and everything in 1972, and he came right after that to uh, Texas. So one of the things, the big, big deal with Ken Patera was we would do weightlifting with him back in the day in the middle of the ring and you think about it, which I learned this at a very early age, uh, and brought it up on the Dino Bravo lift was when you put weights in a wrestling ring and things like that, that adds so much weight because your base is giving that the wrestling ring, it, it gives and it, and it, it absorbs that weight. So when you're trying to press it, and you're moving it, that ring is moving as well. So you're not on a steady base trying to lift weight. So it's a, a shitload harder to try and do that in a ring. And that's why guys always tried to do it on a solid basis. But, uh, yeah, Ken was badass, man. I saw him in, in the Olympics and just always, he's a world-class athlete, man. It takes a lot to get to the Olympics. Of course, we know in our first match, just a couple of months after this show, there would be a real physical altercation with dynamite kid and the Rougeaus. We've covered that to death though. You ever see Ken Patera or bad news Brown ever have to throw hands? You know, I saw it, which, which we talked about recently with bad news and the Cuban assassin, but there weren't any blows thrown and there were some chairs thrown, but man, 
bad news is another guy that people just there was respect there. Uh, Alan wasn't an asshole, man. He was he was respectful to everybody, and all he asked was respect in return. So you you kind of knew there were some guys that didn't want to didn't want to fuck around, didn't want to play haha. And Alan Quage was one of those guys. He didn't want to play haha. He was there to make money and and go home and take care of his family. We should mention that uh, about a month prior to this show, the wrestling world was shocked. Bruiser Brody was brutally murdered in Puerto Rico by Jose Gonzalez, who wrestled as invader number one. And that entire story, I hate to just keep plugging here, but that entire story is told in a new documentary that Viceland put together dark side of the ring. And, uh, it was originally slated to debut in the fall of this year. I think it may have been pushed back, uh, into next year, but for those in attendance at Starcast, they can actually screen the movie and see it before anybody else. And you and I were lucky enough to see it in January of this year, a very rough cut. It's narrated by. Well, well Nick- let's go back to the match here real quick. Cause you're going to watch, you're going to watch this finish here with, with, with bad news, Brown and the kick that he does this Savat kick is something that I, I credit, uh, my brother, Tom and Chris Adams for really bringing to the States and making famous and, and their bad news pins him. But, uh, but Alan did it well as well as he was a judo champion. So of course, karate men always win, but you talk about the, the, the whole bruiser Brody biopic, I guess is, is one docudrama. Docudrama like is the term. Yeah. That's what they like to call it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was very well done and it's, uh, interesting piece. And for everybody coming to Starcast, that's one that I would put on the list to make sure and see. We'll come back to Brody. Take a look at this. Now you've told us before that you guys, Oh, Kogan. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. When, when would this have been shot the day before the day of no, this day of man. And so, you know, these promos are some of my favorite memories as a kid, old Hulk Hogan promos. And of course, people online like to joke that him and Macho Man had to be on just copious amounts of cocaine to pull this off. Chat me up though. The, um, the way you guys shot this and you can, you can see sort of the corners and you can see like mean jeans hand down here. This is before you guys were calling it green screen. Tell everybody what you called it here. This is ultimate. This was, this was the cream of the crop. This was the best of the best. Uh, the green screen, which they called, uh, chroma key. Uh, which are used for like the, the weatherman in your newsstands. This was ultimate, man. This was, this was the cleanest you could get back in the day. And you can still see it, it had a lot of things to do. And, and I can tell this is a blue one because you can see the blue outline of Hulk's back, brother. Yeah. It's funny because when I see this, I think of the last dragon. I think of Bruce Leroy. Because he's got that glow in that one part of the movie. And like <laughs> when you're watching these up close, you're like, wow, we'll take a look. Yeah, no shit, man. But it was, it was good stuff and it was state of the art. We should mention that they were teasing their secret weapon here. Uh, and we of course know what that's going to be on the way here for weeks. Now we've covered this a lot. We've had Hogan promos where he's talking about the. Uh, the teeny weeny itsy bitsy yellow polka dot bikini or whatever. Uh, here comes uh, ravishing Rick rude, not his best robe ever, but what a great gimmick this was. And I think this is when rude was really hitting his stride. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Rick was, you know, starting to get over and starting to feel it. And 
more importantly, I think Vince was starting to feel it with Rude. So he was getting in. Look at that old camera, man, with the flash on top, pocket camera. Holy cow. Yeah, you would see Rude really step his game up from here on out. I, you know, I think 88 is sort of his breakout year for me. 89 and 90 were the two years I appreciated, you know, his WWF run the most, though. Uh, 89, of course, is when he's going to be working with Ultimate Warrior. 90, they'll be working instead of the Intercontinental title for the world title. And look at all the chicks, man. Can't wait to get a picture of Ravishing Rick Rude. Damn right. And that was, that was one of the things that just worked so well because it was a shoot. They all were, man. The cameras went off. They all wanted to get their glimpse of the Ravishing One. Well, and a lot of this is just the presentation. You know, I mean... Presentation is everything. He's got JYD on his trunks there. The hip swivel thing, man, he got it over. You know, a lot of guys have tried to copy this since. I don't know that anybody has been as effective with it as the original. No, no. I think that the Rude's man, of course, I wouldn't have another man's uh, face on my crotchal area. But you put your own face on your crotchal area like Scott Steiner? I would put my own face, but not somebody else's face. So you'd suck your own. It had to be done. Here comes JYD. Do you have a JYD impersonation? I feel like you should have one of those. <laughs> no, <laughs> Staggerly. No, I don't have a good JYD one. I should got of all the years being with JYD. I should have a good JYD one, but you talk about guys that were on top of the business and couldn't be touched. Man, JYD was like printing money in the Mid-South back in the day. And that some bitch just had so much charisma and so much just oomph that there's another one that, that often imitated will never be duplicated. It is amazing when you think about how little he had to do to just get people riled up. He just had this innate charisma about him, did he not? Yeah, he did, man. He walked out and he had everybody with him. This is where I would get in the, the arguments with Bill Watts, where Bill would talk about a black baby face. I said, no, he's just a baby face. Right. Everybody loves him. He is the man. It's like this son of a bitch will walk out and, and everybody would go nuts from the oldest, uh, just grandfather in the in the arena to the mom with her little baby and her three-year-old going absolutely nuts, just wanting to dance and watch JYD because he was real and they believed in him. What was Vince's take on JYD? You know, while, while dog was a, a bigger, thicker man, he was not necessarily this body Adonis that, you know, McMahon sort of fell in love with at different times for his baby faces. What was his relationship like with dog and, what did he think of dog? He loved dog. And, and when dog came in, dog did have that body and, and he didn't have the belly that he's got, you know, here in 1988, but when dog went up there, dog was, was ripped up and looked great. Um, you know, then he kind of let himself go a little bit and became a little slower and he got the paunch and that's where, when his career started going down, downhill a little bit. And it was, you know, when dog was in shape, good God, he looked like a, a great God. So it just, you know, this was during a time that he wasn't taking the best care of himself. 
this match gets a dud rating in the observer. Chat me up about, um, the airbrush tights of ravishing Rick rude. Do you remember anybody ever having a problem with it? Was everybody always cool? I mean, does he, does he give them a heads up beforehand or they just find out and just got a deal? No, what's there to have a problem with? Well, you know, as you said, I don't know that I want another man's face on my crotch. Well, if you're going to be weird and homophobic like that, I assume that some of the guys may be at some point too. No, I'd never heard a problem, man. That was, that was Rick's gimmick and that was something that he did. And I don't think that he ever did anything that was over the top. Uh, but to that point, I think that there were, you could play into that with sure what he does here at the end with, with Cheryl and having someone, having your wife, having your wife's picture on his crotch area. Now that's something that may piss me off a little bit. And that was tremendous. You know, obviously the seed had been sown there for a feud with Jake and root. Check out this lady walking all the way down the stairs, getting as close as she can to take a picture. It's amazing how over Rick rude was man. Well, hell yeah. Yeah. Rick was, Rick was, Rick was over and dog was over, man. This was one of those. And these guys had, had also worked together previously. Uh, I want to say they had a short little stint in either Florida or, or the mid South, but they, they worked well together and liked each other. So that always helps as well. Now you remember Conrad, we did the, the SummerSlam in the garden and they had a different hard camera shot. Yep. 98, 10 years later. Yeah. 10 years later. Um, we're here, we're shooting into the bowls. We're shooting into the long end of Madison square garden. And the entrance is from the hard camera. It's to the left. So that was, was something that we did early on and why we went to, Oh, I do know why. Cause he wanted the entrance, um, that big entrance to be seen. I don't know why we switched later on in later years to go and see that big gaping hole in the middle of your hard camera shot. That's an easy transition there. I'm going to let that one go. Let's talk about uh, bruiser Brody again for a minute though, because this has got to be the talk of the business just a month later. I mean, we talked about how unusual it was for Ken Patera to be a guy who went to prison and came back in the middle of his wrestling career. But wow, one of the boys being murdered in the locker room. What was everybody talking about here in New York? You know, it it was just unheard of. And I think that everybody was wondering what the hell was going to come of it and what was going to happen to Jose Gonzalez, who, you know, that was the guy that did it. And there you see Cheryl Roberts come out. Holy cow. But, uh, man, it was... It was just sad and, and people thinking what's going to happen next when was the last time you saw Jake move like that. Uh, it's been a long time. You know, he might be moving that way now though. Thanks to DDPY. This is true. This is true. But Jake was on fire here, man. And oh my God, how believable was that? How hot was the crowd for that? Well, the, here's the thing. They believed it cause Jake believed it and and he came in and he let you know that he was pissed off and there wasn't anybody in there that couldn't feel that heat coming from Jake. And that's the difference in a pro. He wasn't playing. He wasn't going through the motions. He was pissed and you knew it. Chat me up. Bruiser Brody. Lots of people in these documentaries that have come out 
especially the one from high spots talks about how they all sort of thought and Dave Meltzer, especially thought eventually Brody and Vince might have gotten together. Um, they did try to negotiate a few times allegedly, but nothing ever came of it, but maybe people who were close to Brody thought, well, he always thought there'd be a chance to do it later. And of course, you know, he was murdered and that never happened. And I think even the legend is that once he was working for the WWF, the McMahons gave him the name senior gave him the name bruiser Brody. Is that right? Well, that part. Yeah, that that's true. That's what I'd always heard. But you know, when I got there, there was no talk of bruiser Brody coming in ever. And Vince wasn't, you know, from the time I was there from April, 1987, Vince was never really high on, uh, on Frank coming in. Why do you think that was? He had a reputation as a rebel, a renegade. Yeah, Brody Brody definitely did. He 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 did his own thing and he had a reputation for walking out when things didn't go his way. And that wasn't something that that Vince liked to tolerate and put up with. And if a guy had that, um he needed to see them display some loyalty and and some professionalism elsewhere before he was going to be ready to bring him in. There's just a honky-tonk man on here right now. I got greatest intercontinental champion, greatest singer, Greatest dancer, greatest wrestler, greatest intercontinental champion of all time, baby. You know, I feel like, um, we've had a lot of fun with the character Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake, because he beat the undefeated streak of Mr. Perfect. And that was really what sort of got me down that path. But the honky talk man, despite similar attributes to Brutus, as far as being super over and getting the character over so strong and having such a strong reaction. I feel like he sort of gets glossed over a lot. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because he's because the gimmick was hokey or because he's alienated himself from some of the office because he does. I mean, the dude is white hot as a heel here. People fucking hate him, but I don't think people today really talk about him as much. Is it the shoot interviews that he's done? That's maybe hurt their perception of him. What is it about that? I don't know. I, I can't say I've ever seen any of his shoot interviews, so I don't know. But Honky Tonk Man back in the day, good God, he was red hot and he had legitimate heat. But he was able, you know, he knew how to work it. He knew how to go out and he had money drawing heat. So can't knock him. Oh, God, I hope they're going to sing, Conrad. Are you gonna, I hope they're going to sing. Are you going to do this for us, you think? Well, if he, if Nikolai takes the thing, I will definitely sing along with him. The, cause it's only out of respect. How about slick as a manager for them? How fucking weird is this? The doctor of style, if you will, baby. Gotta love slicks. He's a show, soul, bro. Show a little respect for comrade Volkov. That's right. Or Koloff, rather. To. Volkov. Okay. That's how they end it. What a look here. 
And this really, if we're honest, this is you guys ripping off the road warriors, not demolition. Uh, no, this is those guys ripping off the road warriors. Now see this, that's the part I don't understand. These guys were a rip off of the road warriors. A hundred percent. The hair, the face paint, everything. Yeah. Yeah. These are just some guys, black you know, tights, like, red letters down the side, face paint, crazy mohawks, even the hairstyle. Yeah. I mean, even the reverse mohawk thing, this is a hundred percent rip off of the road warriors. Yeah. And this was something that, that they, these guys are coming straight in from Crockett at the time. And, uh, had been unhappy there. They were in the middle of a program with the road warriors before they came in. But I'll tell you during, during this match, I remember watching this match and I'm, I'm brother love and I'm looking out there and I'm nervous as shit. I'm peeking through the curtain and Pat Patterson comes by and says, good luck, Brucey. And Vince McMahon looks at Pat and he says, Patrick, that's not Bruce. That's brother love. And gave me, gave me a little speech that I'll, I'll never, ever forget. Let's hear it. Vince looks out the curtain and says, see that that's Madison square garden, the most famous arena in the world. 18,000 people. And he turns back. He looks at gorilla monsoon and says, Gino. Gino, how many watching on pay-per-view monsoon without even hesitating? Five million. <laughs> you know, just five million watching on pay-per-view live. You know what? He holds out his hand. He points his hand. He goes, you know what? You own every one of them. Right here in the palm of your hand, you own every one of them. So fuck up. Go on out there and own them. And I was absolutely just... That if I wasn't scared before, now I was terrified. This is my first time going out, man, and I'm, I'm and I remember watching this match at the curtain, just thinking I'm going to be out there shortly, and uh, hoping that I didn't turn my white pants brown. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. Well, I was trying to think of a song, a turn in something, something, and I couldn't think of it. So I just went with the lyric anyway. Oh, how I turn my white pants brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they're not exact ripoffs of the road warriors. So he's got different colors, hairs, different color hairs. Yeah. He's got brown hairs on one side and black hairs on the other side. You know, for, for two, like really mean looking some bitches, warlord and barbarian, I don't think you could find two nicer guys. <laughs> same thing. Actually, same thing with, with big Jim and, uh, Nikolai too, but for some, some of the nastiest looking some bitches in the world, there's just some of the nicest people you ever want to meet. I don't know why, but that's funny to me. What's that? What's funny to you? I don't know. You met Nikolai. He was nice. No, I'm not arguing that. I can't argue that. We should mention that, uh, end of July, Bam Bam Bigelow leaves the company, goes to the NWA. What, what, why do you think that is? Like, why was Bam Bam not a right fit here? If it was like with this cast of characters, he'd have been a natural fit. I think that Bam Bam just saw, you know, more for his character. Bam Bam wanted to be the man. 
and had been fed that in his head from day one. Uh, he also had Larry Sharp in his ear that, you know, was constantly, constantly looking to book him elsewhere. <laughs> so it, it just, uh, he was unhappy and Vince didn't want the unhappy guy around him. Didn't want the unhappy guy around him. Yep. Well, speaking of unhappy, Terry Taylor is coming in at the end of July not talked about a lot. He actually debuts on a tag team with Sam Houston. Uh, he of course turns on Houston and becomes a heel and briefly wrestles as terrible Terry Taylor apropos. And then you guys reach into the famous box of gimmicks and pull out the legendary red rooster. Chat me up about all terrible Terry Taylor. Well, that was just a descriptor. I think more than anything the terrible part. No, the, the red rooster was always the gimmick. Bring Terry in is, is kind of an underneath baby face and then have Bobby Heenan say that he can turn anybody into a star and, and take, uh, take Terry under his wing, which then fed into the Brooklyn brawler whole scenario as well. But he was going to be the, the red rooster. And, uh, be a cocky little fucker. Cocky little fucker. There's apparently another cocky little fucker around this time. Cause, uh, mean Gene Okerlund popped off with Vince. They had a bunch of blowups. One, even at the Slammy awards that was so bad that Gene quit for a day. Uh, this of course is coming to us from the observer, but chat me up. Do you remember any of these famous mean Gene Vince McMahon blowups? What were they about? Take us back. No shit, man. Gene would always get hot and quit for a day. I don't know that he ever actually quit to Vince, but he would quit to the bar and let everybody go. I've had it. I'm done. I'm out of here. Not going to take this shit anymore. And then Vince would come in and how you doing Vince? What are we doing tomorrow? (laughs) So, um, back in, you know, and, and especially back during this time, things were a little wilder and things were a little bit more open. So guys would have arguments and that happened every day. It was just disagreements. The, the stuff at, uh, the Slammy awards was more of so many cooks in the kitchen and so many chiefs that everybody was telling everybody what to do. You had ever saw there and, and his group. And then, Vince and us. And, and it just was, it wasn't a well-oiled machine. It's amazing that that huge production got on the air the way that it did, but, uh, it worked. It all worked. And that those were just things that happened, man. Guys blow up and I can't tell you how many times I quit in the bar. Fuck it. I'm done. Not coming tomorrow. I'm out. Chat me up here about Baron Von Raschke. We haven't talked about him very often. He's the manager here and, uh, he's gone shortly after this. What happened? Uh, Von Raschke was actually my idea because uh, I think that he was looking to come in and I thought he would compliment these guys well because they needed a baby face promo and Raschke cut a hell of a just heel baby face promo. So bring in the Baron. He was a new face, somebody different and let him cut their promos, put the face paint and the hood on him. And that's, that's what he wore as Baron Von Raschke. So those that knew knew, and those that didn't, he was the Baron. 
What did Vince think about the Baron? Loved him personally. He didn't think that he added anything to the act at all. Is this a push here for the powers of pain? Is this really in response to the inability to sign the road warriors? Because allegedly the road warriors had met with Vince, but couldn't get a guarantee. So they opted for the guaranteed money with Crockett. Yeah. Timing wise, that was, that was about right. He was actually negotiating with both. And when one didn't come, took the other. Of course, next up is uh, a pretty big moment for you. We're going to see, uh, the brother love show on pay-per-view in just a minute. And you sort of told the story of, uh, the guys maybe trying to get in your head a little bit. When we're seeing this on the network, is this, um, is there an intermission right before you come out? Cause they need a little time to set all this up. Do they not? There was, uh, we, God, I think we just got that damn carpet in the ring and went, we had rehearsed it during the day. And so that was the whole ring crew. As soon as those guys got out now, watch, I'm about to trip and almost bust my ass as, as I come through here and they don't take it. Thank God. Uh, but when I, when I did the turn, there's a little step up there. Um, uh, either they edited it out or completely missed it. And I thought I was going flat on my face. And right now my asshole is about as tight and puckered as one could possibly be. I mean, it's a good looking ass. I'm going to let us just, I'm going to leave that alone for a minute. The spotlight treatment here hadn't been done before. Has it? No, it was red or pink spotlights that bathed bathed me in pink and this was long before lighting treatments and all this other crap so this was a big deal as to how we were going to present the brother love show how nervous are you right now i love you i'm scared to death absolutely i mean it's madison square garden first of all and how old are you here i'm 25 here that's the thing that gets me is, you know, you're one of those guys who as this character, you know, I know you're 25, but you could pass for 40 or 45. You know, I joked with my friends the other day that there's a handful of guys in wrestling who've looked the same age forever. Like we almost imagine mean Gene Okerlund, like in second grade in a little tuxedo, giving a book report, like with a mustache and bald. bald. Yeah. Yeah. And so mean Gene. Arn Anderson, JJ Dillon, like those guys looked 55 when they were 25. And now that they're 75, they look 55 and you, for whatever reason here, when I watched it then, and even when I watch it now, I think, I mean, he's 40 something, but you're 20 fucking five. And, and I think when you think about the idea that you're 25 and this is the infancy of pay-per-view and it's sold out Madison square garden. And you're the first to have a lighting treatment and you're in this character and you've got to pull all this off. A lot of pressure for a 25 year old. And, and I'm also responsible for the production that night. So <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. On top of that, had a few things going on there and look, you know, looking at it, not knowing that Duggan was going to be my guest until the very last minute because we had so many different things in the work from Jessica Hahn. We'll talk about that in a minute. Keep going with yeah. your story about the pressure though. Oh no, it, it just, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't have time to prepare and I'm just thinking I've got to get through this and praying that everybody is, 
is going to be happy at the end of the day that I don't break my neck getting out of the ring. You guys had teased building up to this, that it was going to be a huge announcement that you were going to have a very special guest. I mean, this was hyped up to where you thought it was going to be a major happening and it almost was. We've talked about this a little bit before, but let's expound on it since we're finally here. Well, the idea at the time was WWE Vince was negotiating with Ric Flair and that this was going to be the debut of the nature boy, Ric Flair into the WWF. So it was going to be on the brother love show. We were going to announce that, that Ric Flair had joined and that he was here now. Um, and that didn't, you know, it just kept falling through, but it, it was, it was close. Then it wasn't close. Then it was close. Then it wasn't close. And it, uh, ended up not happening. So Duggan had been gone for a little while. And this was kind of Duggan's Duggan's return too. So it was Vince was like, we'll do Duggan. Um, fuck what a disappointment though. I mean, after you've promised and, and you know what the real deal is, of course, us fans, we didn't know, but how close do you think the flare thing got? It was, it was fairly, fairly close. It, it was, it was fairly close. The, you know, for me, I think that the, and I wasn't disappointed. I was happy to be on. It was my biggest disappointment was not getting Jessica Hahn because that would have got mainstream news and mainstream press everywhere. Um, then the thought of having flair, that was exciting because it was something brand new. And I liked Rick, um, the, the letdown was, you know, hack had already been here before, but at the same time, one of the things that at least calmed me down somewhat in here, I'd known Duggan for years and I'd worked with Duggan for years. So at least I was comfortable with Jim. Yeah. With Jessica Hunt, you would have been on pay-per-view with a real, I mean, a variable. You don't know what to expect. Right. And, and even with flair, you know, I, I would have, I've known, I've known Rick since 1981 or whatever it was. And there was still, I think I still would have been psyched out. So Duggan, the, the great part about having Duggan on there was a comfort. I trusted him. I knew him and we had, we had done stuff together before. So that was, that was good. But at the same time for me, I just am scared to death here. And you, you think about, you can't can't rest and think about what, what could have been, what should have been type thing. Well, let's play that game for a minute though. Let's do the, what if gimmick, what if flair had come in here, what would the plans have been? I mean, I think most people assume he's the arguably the second biggest star, maybe third in the business, the top three being Hulk Hogan, macho man, and Ric Flair. And you guys are in the process of making macho here in this 88 run. What would the plans have been for flair? Had he come in here in your opinion? You know, I, it was never discussed with me. I think that Rick probably would have been put right into the title picture right away. Um, but at the same time, Vince had in his head, he was going to go with Hulk and Savage at WrestleMania. So I don't think that flair would have changed that. He probably would have brought Rick in and taken maybe a year or so to get Rick over to take that spot with Hulk after WrestleMania. Let me mention here, when you say to get Rick over, you mean to this new audience, obviously, yes. you know, in the South and 
you know, in Florida. I mean, Flair was over in St. Louis and blah, 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 blah. But you mean to this New York audience, which is really where Vince has his finger on the pulse. You would probably need the WWF audience. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea being maybe WrestleMania five would have stayed the same. Would WrestleMania six. Look at that. Look at that. Did you see the athleticism that was just shown there? I did the way he twirled that two by four way that I got out of the ring there and, and, and moved. I think I ran a, I think I ran a, a, a three, three, eight 90 on that. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was. Um, three, eight, 90. I'm, I'm going to have to remember that. Chat me up though. WrestleMania six. Do you think that would have been instead of Hogan warrior? Would it have been Hogan flair? I don't see that. It could have been. Yeah, it definitely could have been, but I, again, we'll never know. And I, and I, this was not the first time that, that Vince had negotiated with flair either. So I think by this time, Vince was kind of getting a little, um, skittish. Yeah. Because Rick would, would, would get close and then, then he'd do. never seal the deal. Yeah. And that was a frustration on Vince's part. Do you think, why do you think that was, do you think flair was just in a comfort zone? Yeah, I think Rick was real comfortable. He he knew the surroundings there. Jim Crockett, uh, at that time at least, treated him well, and and Rick was comfortable. It was an unknown. We got the uh, honky tonk man coming to the ring. Before we do, I want to put a bow on that segment uh, that we just saw. You you called um, you called him Dugan, which is sort of fun. And Meltzer would write this. He says. That you did a great job playing the gimmick, but it's already run its course. He also says, I don't know anyone who gets off on it, which I think is an interesting comment. And he continues the comments I hear when brother love comes on it's channel switching time. By this point in the show, I'd rather have gone to the dentist because getting teeth scraped was more entertaining. Dud, 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 dud. How much of that is him hating on hacksaw and how much of that is just He's always hated Bruce Richard. Um, I just, just goes to show his being able to read what works and what gets over and what doesn't considering that, uh, the gimmick was on every television show for the next three and a half years and did get over and draw money. But then again, there's your expert. So here we go. We've got, uh, hockey talk, man, cutting a promo. And he's going to be facing a mystery opponent. As we said earlier, Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake can't be here because Ron Bass has mutilated him. So he's challenging anybody in the back. Just bring them on out here. And they're killing a little time, getting some shots of the crowd. And then all of a sudden, some of the most iconic music of all time hits and look at the crowd go bananas and honky's freaking out. Like what? Not him. No. And of course the announcers are playing a dumb, like they don't know who it is, even though they hear the music and the fans know, and it's the ultimate warrior here and probably his first major career highlight for the WWF. Wouldn't you agree? I, yeah, I would agree. Definitely. Because this was a big point. This was a big, big deal for him. And we had to keep it short because, uh, he's already just looking for any kind of air he can get. And honky tonk man right there is, is saying that was the stiffest freaking shoulder tackle I've ever had in my life. And that was the worst clothesline probably ever thrown. And this hurts. Does he not know how to do a splash? You will notice 
there was no uh, warrior press here. And that's because Honky refused to do it. Goddamn right. Anybody, anybody that had ever taken it before, you know, would refuse to do it because he didn't know how to do it. He would grab people by the balls and by the throat and try and lift them up. And Honky was like, yeah, you ain't grabbing my balls. You did that once. Ain't going to happen again. Well, there you go. I never knew that. So that's a, that's a fun story. 31 seconds here. Uh, ultimate warrior. Now you're intercontinental champion. Of course, he's going to carry that to a WrestleMania and then rude with a little help from Bobby Heenan is going to take it from him. Chat me up a little bit about Meltzer's comments here. Cause he actually agreed with you. He says warrior gave honky quote, the worst clothesline in the history of pro wrestling. And he also referred to the warrior as the anabolic warrior during this time period. He gave the match, uh, negative half a star. Well, it was at least short. It's funny. I think that's the best thing that can be said about it. It is interesting that, you know, we've heard the rumor in innuendo that honky refused to drop the belt to macho man, but now no problem doing a 31 second splash squash to the warrior. What, what, what well, did, what did Vince see in a warrior? Oh God. I mean, well, first of all, the, what they envisioned for the segment is exactly what you saw from the time that warriors music hit till the time that he left that audience was on their feet going nuts. We didn't give them time to settle down and come down and, and watch a match or try to have a match or anything like that. You kept them up and it was a frenetic pace. That was the vision that he had. That's exactly what they got. Um, you know, it worked, it worked. That's, that's what we were looking for. Make it, make a, make a moment. So there's your intermission right there, um, which they've obviously cut out, but we get the rejoin at this point. Are you watching the show from the gorilla position? Oh God. At this point, I don't even know where the hell I am. I'm I, probably at gorilla with, uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, with at gorilla. Yep. What's, uh, what's Vince think of uh superstars? commentary at this point at this point i don't even think we could hear the commentary at in madison square garden so it was you know one of those you didn't you didn't have madison square garden was different dude <laughs> it was back in those days you're dealing with the garden uh the garden network people uh, MSG network and you're dealing with their equipment, their stuff. And, and we had, we did have a gorilla position, but it wasn't, it wasn't what you think a gorilla position is now. It was just a place to send guys. And, and that was it. And there was one monitor there and that that's all there was. So for us, it was, you know, if you could get a place there and see awesome, if not, then you move on. But I, who knows where I was. Here comes Don Morocco, man, the original rock. How jacked is he right here? Well, Morocco man was, and here's, here's the other crazy thing for, for Don Morocco. He's 
was such a huge, huge star in Madison Square Garden in New York back in the territory days. Don was a huge star everywhere he went. And this was during a time in, in Morocco's career that, you know, he was sliding down a little bit and he had gotten so damn big and didn't move like the Don Morocco of old. And then you add in this match to that Dino Bravo and same thing with Dino, man. He, he just got to the point where it was, it was like slow motion watching these guys go and Don didn't have uh, didn't have that same zip that he used to have. Yes, it's a bitch. USA is not okay. And a bitch. It's a change. Look at that There's fucking there. guy. There we go. There's America. <laughs> <laughs> like Bruce Mitchell. Oh, We're not in Greensboro. God. Yeah, jack off. Oh, my. So let's talk about, um, finishes for a minute. You know, we, we mentioned a minute ago that hockey talk, man, the rumor in innuendo is that he wouldn't lose to Savage, but he we will lose to warrior. Any pushback from hockey on dropping the belt to warrior. I mean, you just said he wouldn't take a press slam was, and he wanted to keep it short. I get that. He was fine with losing though. And, and he was okay yeah. with making it short. Absolutely. You know, the, uh, again, the only pushback I remember from, from hockey and, and with warrior was, you know what? Don't ever grab my nuts like that again. And we ain't doing that. We ain't going to do your, your finish. We're not going to do that press slam until you learn how to do it. Uh, I ain't taking it. And the problem was, with with so many guys, the enhancement talent, they were just happy to be, be out there and, and be able to do a job and get a payday. So when Warriors squeezed their nuts to oblivion, they would come back and wouldn't complain. So no one knew until he started doing the finish on top guys. And then when he did that, they were like, uh-uh. And that's where Rick Rude sat him down one day and showed him how to do it. Still, I think he squeezed. I mean, maybe he was the original Joey Ryan dick flipper. God. Hey, so chat me up here about, uh, you know, I did the transition for finishes. I want to talk about the rumor and innuendo, you know, you sort of addressed it there for honky, but what about the Rougeos and bulldogs? You know, one of the internet legends is that the bulldogs were supposed to go over, but the Rougeos complain and get a change to a draw. Do you remember that? I, I don't. And to my knowledge, that match from day one. When we put everything together, that match was always supposed to be a 20 minute draw to start the sh start the night off. You know, back in the day, that's how you'd start your shows. Have the first two guys go out there and go, you know, 10 or 15 minutes through. And, uh, then you start building the show from there. But to my knowledge, and I did the original run sheets from day one, which was the week of the show. That was always a 20 minute draw. You ever hear a story about an enhancement talent? named John Ziegler. Allegedly no. he's credited with, uh, being one of the godfathers for introducing steroids to weightlifters. And he was working enhancement matches for you guys in August of this year. And the name jumped out to me. And so I thought I'd ask, God damn. How old was he? I don't know. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I, I go back to, you know, the, very little I know about steroids. And I go back to the Arnold Schwarzenegger days, uh, in Venice beach 
in the 60s and superstar Billy Graham talking about, you know, in the, in the 60s and how it was all introduced then. So, um, no, I've never heard that name at all. And I, I, Superstar was the one who really was one of the first guys that brought that look, and that came from, from working out with Schwarzenegger and those guys out in Venice Beach. Was this always supposed to be sort of the blow-off for the Hogan Warriors? I mean, Hogan-Andre stuff? SummerSlam? Yeah. I ask because it feels like it's it's dwindling a little bit. I mean, obviously, you guys have gone back to the well a few times, and I know we've touched on it before when we did our Hogan 88 episode, but... In August of that year, August 7th, in fact, you guys take the show to Greensboro Coliseum, of course, NWA country in a big way. It held the, um, Starcade events for 83, four, five, and six. And you guys have Andre and Hogan on top and you draw 3,600 fans. But you know, whenever you go say to Oakland, you're doing 10,500, you're doing 140 grand in LA. You're doing giant business in Montreal, believe it or not, with Randy wrestling Dino Bravo on top, like 300 grand. So you're getting tons of traction everywhere you go, except in the Greens of Royal Coliseum with Hogan and Andre. And it always sort of stuck out to me that, you know, this is a year after they drew 93,000 or whatever fabled number there is, but it's 3,600 here. How much of that is because it's NWA country and how much of that is just because people have seen it? Um, I think that a lot of it had to do with probably our, just our exposure in the market. And I don't know how good our TV was there, you know, going in and, and running a market that people were used to watching the NWA and another product. And they had a time slot that people were used to. So, you know, that, that damn new gas station opened up down the street, but for Vince with Andre, I know Vince wanted to limit Andre's exposure as much as he could because there were still questions about his health. So it, it was. How about the body slam and a ref bump, but he bounces right back up and a fucking That's Timmy white. He's resilient. It's just funny <laughs> though. that Anytime somebody gets knocked over, they're dead for days. But when it happens accidentally, just pop right back up and a damn sidewalk slam is your finish. USA is not okay. I feel like USA should, is not okay. I feel like we need to have a costume contest because this would be an easy one to do, would it not? Absolutely. Count USA me in. is not okay. Is that your new gimmick? USA is not okay. Fetchy Bernard, Is that the guy who taught you how to smoke weed on a plane? Yes, it is. Come in here, Bruce. What you do is you get down and you get into the toilet and you push the button. When all the air sucks it out, it takes the smoke. Watch this. Watch this. And you keep it down there and the smoke goes away. Kiss Kase. How about Sean Mooney sporting the tuxedo? Got the mic cube like he likes it. I feel like we're going to see that at StarCast later today. What the hell? I think Sean Mooney's put on a few pounds. Got a little more gray, though. But he looks, other than that, he looks exactly the same. Man, how big of a star was Jesse Ventura here? Well, Jesse Ventura at this time was our answer to, for example, uh, any, any mega star that was out there. He had just done predator and he was getting a lot of press and he was a quote movie star. Jesse liked to think of himself more as a movie star than a wrestler or a commentator, but he also knew where his bread was buttered. 
So Jesse was live, man, during this time. Jesse, Jesse was a was a huge megastar, and he was the guy that was able to get out there, he and Hogan, and get out on Entertainment Tonight and get that extra press. How about this? The Hart Foundation already in the ring. Of course, RIP to uh, Mr. Jim Neidhart. This is the first time we've had him really on the show since he passed away. And there's Bret Hart just a few years before he's going to be a big single star. Just three years after this, he's going to have a classic with Mr. Perfect and become the intercontinental champion. Still trying to find his way here a little bit. Yeah, but they were a classic tag team man. the heart foundation were, if you were to ask if, if we were to go back 30 years and, and look at this now, I would tell you that the Hart Foundation, those are two tag team guys. I don't think either one of them could be a single. Man, this is good old school WWF to me. We've got Demolition coming out both with Mr. Fuji and, believe it or not, with Jimmy Hart. Of course, Jimmy Hart had recently been paired with the Hart Foundation, of course. But now they're good guys. And Jimmy ain't having nothing to do with that, baby. He likes bad guys and beans and taters. You know, that's right. And if you're ever in Jacksonville, no, you're in no. Daytona beach. You can Daytona go to, beach. Damn it. Can't believe you would forget that. Cause everybody know. knows about Jimmy Hart's famous bar and Tiki deck. It's right on the water, baby. And they, they got cans of beer, baby. They don't have draft cause you're going to have glasses down by the water. You got to have them cans. And all you got to do is come down to Daytona beach right there on the beach at the Mayan Inn, and ask for Jimmy Hart's famous bar and Tiki deck. By the way, they got beans and taters. They got all kinds of wrestling photos all over the building. They even got one of brother love of course, Hulk Hogan's in it. He's contractually obligated to be in all the wrestling pictures, but who else would you want? He's the biggest star of them all. Don't forget Jimmy Hart's famous bar and Tiki deck also has NFL Sunday ticket. So if you live in say Texas and the game is blocked out, just hop in your car 19 hours later, boom. You're right there on the beach with your feet in the sand and a can of cold beer in your hand, eating beans and taters at Jimmy Hart's famous bar and Tiki deck. You can see it all right there, baby. By the way, I, I know some of our listeners have no idea what I'm doing, but you and I recently did an event in Huntsville, Alabama. And no matter what question came from the audience. So Vince, um, or, or what do you guys think Vince thinks about new Japan selling out Madison square garden? Well, baby, I think they're going to be hanging from the rafters just like they are every night during raw at Jimmy Hart's famous bar and Tiki deck. I love Jimmy. The, just the constant shill. He's the best. And I don't well, know. I don't know anything about a constant shill. So let's talk about Starcast. Yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about right here because it was <laughs> animal. And I got to the point where we would answer the questions with the same thing because we thought, well, shit, somebody's paying us for this. It's amazing. I would like to, um, ask you a, a question about pay-per-view and by the way, what, what we're watching right here is exactly what I remember about WWF 88. I mean, I don't remember anything about Morocco and Dino Bravo that I enjoyed, but I remember so much about demolition and heart foundation, two of my favorites. And, uh, it's fun to watch it back and just sort of bathe in the nostalgia. I do want to talk to you about the pay-per-view though, because we mentioned that this was obviously one of the big pay-per-view extravaganzas and Royal rumble at this point has just been a television show. So this is really number three for pay-per-view, but Vince is going to promote a boxing match. And we almost never talk about this. It's sugar Ray Leonard 
and he's going to be in a boxing match for the WBC lightweight and super middleweight titles on November 17th. And that gets the rumor mill started in a big way that if Vince is throwing his hat into the boxing game and allegedly spending like 5 million bucks in order to get the rights to do so that perhaps he's eyeing a Hogan, Mike Tyson extravaganza. Tell me what you know about the Sugar Ray Leonard fight and why Vince ventured into boxing, then why he didn't do more of it, and anything about these Hogan Tyson rumors you can remember. No, the host, the Hogan Tyson rumors were always going to be there. That just was a natural going all the way back to Anoki and Ali. That yeah, and that's exactly what they were. They were just rumors. So uh you whether there's any fire there to that smoke, there just wasn't other than talk and what ifs and different things. The Donnie Lalonde and Sugar Ray fight was something that we did with Sugar Ray. Vince was looking to expand into boxing and he had an opportunity to do it in Madison Square Garden in New York. He had an opportunity to bid on this fight. I don't think it was $5 million. I think it was closer to maybe $2 million, but I have no idea what the exact figures were. I just remember being said it was a lot, a lot less. Uh, he promoted the fight and we did it on pay-per-view. We used our production company, our production people and did, did the promotion for it. And I, I dare say it did really well on pay-per-view based off of all the promotion that it got through superstars, wrestling, wrestling challenge and primetime. So it was, it was a big deal. I've got pictures on my wall of me and Sugar Ray in Atlantic City, um, promoting the fighter up in the Poconos, going through and uh, for his training. So it was, it was an interesting time. It was a lot of fun. We had, uh, we did a lot of co-promotional stuff where we had Sugar Ray and Donnie on primetime and on our different shows. So, yeah, it was something he wanted to do didn't stay in it because the boxing community really didn't embrace Vince McMahon in their world. Didn't want the wrestling guy in there. And, and they didn't want the wrestling guy in there because of the connotation that it might be fixed. And so much of boxing is based on sports betting. And I understand, I mean, there was even a hesitation years ago, obviously that's eased up a little bit now, but there was a hesitation years ago from people in the mixed martial arts community, sort of co-mingling because they had that old school gambling is such a big part of our business because the Fertitas who are in the casino business, if they had a relationship with the quote unquote fake wrestling, then it might negatively impact their business. That's before they got as big as they are and had so many other revenue streams and it wasn't nearly as important. That's coming from the boxing community. Uh, the, the, up the upstanding never, Sure. Never been fixed. Sure. <laughs> Boxing community. Silly shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, but they, they didn't want, you know, they didn't want the wrestling people involved in that. They certainly didn't want Vince taking it over kind of like he had done the wrestling. And that's, that's what they saw. There was probably more concern on Don King's part looking at, I don't need another promoter in here dabbling in my world. So there was, it was fear in it. It did well. We got the hell out, took it, and, and moved on. 
you know, later on he, he looked at doing some stuff with, um, oh my God, I'm blank right now. Golden boy, Oscar De La Hoya, uh, many years later, but that just, just didn't pan, pan out. We did a little bit, but not a lot. Let's talk a little bit about this match. Both, um, both teams have said that they liked the match and that they, I mean, they both speak very highly of it. Why do you think these teams really work so well together in your opinion? Well, probably because they're it's four tough son of a bitches out there beating the shit out of each other. And they liked it. Sometimes you get, sometimes you have chemistry with somebody. Sometimes you don't, these guys had chemistry with one another. So it was an, it was the ability for the hearts, the heart foundation to be baby faces against a heel tag team. So that helps because the hearts had been heels up until this point, And this was an opportunity for them to be true baby faces. So it was a way to get them over. Let's uh, always, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I always like, you know, when you, you're sitting here, first of all, Barry Darso's hair, he has hair tremendous. Um, but it always looked like it had glitter in it. You ever yeah. notice that? It did. It's like, you know, now, I mean, the fact that he's got hair, because Barry, bless his little heart, doesn't have any hair anymore. Axe had more of this glitter shit, though, than anybody. You think so? Yeah, for sure. Axe was always I don't see covered. it in Axe's hair. Let me mention um, Jim Neidhart. You know, we haven't talked about him a ton. Of course, we've done Bret Hart episodes. We've done a demolition episode. Talked a little bit about the animal before, but, and I know every time we throw to him, you inevitably jump to some sort of a, a stew impersonation. Do you have any, any other stories about Jim, the man, not just funny ha ha's or, you know, I know that's what we try to do here on the show, but if we could have you share some. Jim Neidhart stories that aren't just gags and ribs. That might be good. Well, Jim, the man, you know, he got the name, the anvil because he threw the anvil and, and he was one of the strongest son of a bitches that ever walked the earth. You know, you, you would try and run into Jim. It was like running into a fire hydrant. He was just that thick and deceptively strong. You, you look at him and you go, Oh hell there. He's just threw a drop kick. He was an incredible athlete, man, and very deceptively strong. I would put him up there with the in strength categories with Kane and even guy like Mark Henry that was able to do shit. But he he did the anvil toss and was one of the best in the world. And you kind of put him in that category of of a Kerry Von Erich who was a discus thrower. Um but I think people, because of his look and because of the big gut, they downplayed the athleticism of Jim Neidhart. But he was a he was a stand up guy, and got over more than anything on his toughness. Um, even when he was just learning to work, and we had him in Mid South when he was greener and fucking goose shit. Uh, he got over because he could take punishment and give it out, and it looked real. I don't think he became really a gimmick until he, he got to, to WWE. Right. I remember him wearing the, he, he would wear a, a cowboy hat 
And, and that was his deal. Just short trunks and, and a cowboy hat, an old black cowboy hat. And that was, that was Jim, the anvil Neidhart. Watts like Watts liked him because he was a tough guy. Yeah. He's a big bastard and obviously very powerful. That's Watts all day. Oh yeah. So, but no, nah, Neidhart, you know, Neidhart was Neidhart, man. He was fun. To, uh, he, he was exactly the opposite of the perception. Right. But to get, to get Jim in a, in a bar and just sit down and have a few beers and get him laughing and get him telling stories. It, he was a funny, just, you know, one of the boys. Look at poor Fuji getting the living shit beaten out of him by Neidhart. There's a tough son of a bitch. Oh, bullshit. That damn megaphone, Jimmy Hart, fucking them Hart Foundations. But that you know, again, man, you look at you look at the uh, the great teams, and without a doubt, man, Demolition will go down as is, I think probably one of those greatest tag teams ever in WWE, and here with the Hart Foundation, two of the best. What the hell is this? Who's that? Oh, that's Jimmy Hart. Look out, baby. See, Jimmy almost tripped, but he throws the megaphone, baboom, and we're out. Old school stuff, man. And Steve Taylor getting in the shot. I love it. The old wooden stairs come a long way since then, huh? My God, I hated those wooden stairs. I hated the wooden stairs because they were so damn narrow. It was like climbing up a ladder. It was like when I, I got in the ring at that uh, show in Huntsville and looked over and said, how the hell am I going to get up there? But it happens. Jimmy Hart's already in the back consulting with all the bad guys. There's Hercules who hasn't wrestled yet, but I think everybody else in the shot has. And I, the honk tonk man was robbed. I didn't even get my million dollar, didn't even get my million dollar jumpsuit off right here, baby. Mean Gene, you know I was robbed. That ultimate warrior's got my championship walking around. That makes a honky tonk man awful mad. Tell him, honky. Tell him. Tell him. We're going to go right now down to Daytona Beach. Why do you think um, it's not talked about that Lawler's family is one of the most famous fa families in wrestling? It feels like, you know, you hear lots of other names, but nobody really talks about Brian Lawler, uh, you know, Brian Christopher, rather Jerry Lawler and the honky tonk man, all the same clan, man. Well, because none of them ever claimed any of the others. It's like, you know, Lawler and, and honky tonk are cousins. Oh my God. You know, you look at the Samoans. <laughs> They but there's out. only three of them and they, and neither one of them claims the other. It's just interesting to me. Here's the big boss man, AKA Eric Rottencrotch, friend of the show. He did a cosplay as him a few years ago. I put on my Twitter feed. You got to see it. If you haven't already, I thought that was boss man. I know it looks just like him. Identical, especially here. Early boss man and Eric Rottencrotch. Same person. Yes. Same person. There's a Rosati. This is a classic WWF here. The big boss man taking on Coco beware. And this is not too long after boss man debuted here. 
And we know that he is going to be a favorite opponent of Hulk Hogan. Who else in the company was high on boss man besides Hogan? God, I think everybody was, you know, once they got to work, DiBiase was loved working with him. Anybody that, that worked with boss man, shit, he was so damn easy to work with. And so giving that he was a favorite of people to work with. I loved working with him. I loved going out and doing the spots with him and taking his sidewalk slam and the damn, uh, ball in the gut and all that shit. Why do you think, you know, or how do you think, just talk me through the progression because Bossman, when he was with Crockett, was really just a heavy in the background. He didn't do shit. And now you guys have him and you're giving him a push to the moon. And that's not necessarily something that happened a lot. You usually took top guys from other areas and then made them top guys for you. But he was very much a in the background underneath guy. And now he's in a featured spot here. What did Vince see in him that nobody else did? Well, that, that goes back to, you know, sitting down and talking to him and getting inside what made him tick and what his desires were. I think boss man in the NWA was so happy to have any kind of a spot that he was willing to do whatever it is they asked him to do. Um, his, his true goal was he wanted to be a wrestler. He wanted to be in the business doing it. And he was so good at the big Bubba gimmick that they didn't want to deviate from that. So they, they did what, what worked. You know, so it's like watching now you see Coco Ware and, and man, Coco from the minute he stepped into the business, here's a guy that main evented in, in Memphis came to mid South, got over in the mid South, which is a big man territory, got over huge and then, uh, caught the eye of Vince McMahon and came in and, and took the gimmick as far as he could possibly take it there in the WWF. So it's, uh, it's a hell of a couple of guys in the ring right there. No doubt. I mean, three legends, boss, man, Coco Hebner. Yep. And the toughest and the toughest one in there is, is probably the one in the white trunks. No doubt. White tights. Yeah. You know, he's so tough that, um, he would be with, not with the company too much longer after this. He had, uh, a situation. Uh, he whipped Jim Troy's ass and allegedly it was Shawn Michaels who started it. And it just sort of, uh, that's Coco Beware's version of events. Well, the version from everyone else is, was that Jim Troy pretty much started it and, and kept it on and just continued it until there was, there was nothing else that Coco could do. And it was an unfortunate situation, but. You know, Vince's hands were tied. He couldn't have that. Just, just couldn't have two guys, you know, a wrestler beating up an office guy and an office guy being as fucked up as Troy was doing what he did. So it was a message. And I, I don't think that Vince and Vince even said to Coco and I, because I was, I was in the office when he, when he talked to him on the, on the phone, uh, when he was over there and said, Coco, this isn't forever, but you got to go home. Yeah. And he got other opportunities. Yeah. Um, and and it, it just was, it, it was a sad situation. Uh, did, did you ever meet my friend, super Dave Miller? I have super Dave Miller. Allegedly his sister had a relationship with Coco beware. Well, hell 
How about that? Because if you're going to tell me his wife Stephanie did, I'd be like really pissed. I like me some Super Dave and Stephanie. Wait, so if she hooked up with Coco, you're mad? Yes, because her and Dave are so happy. And I thought you were going to tell oh, me. Oh, no, like, no, no. I meant back in the day. Oh, uh, Co- okay. Coco was coming to the ring. I think he may or may not have been a heel when he was working down south. And um, he looked at Super Dave's sister and said, I'm going to run this big black dick up your ass, girl. Well, damn. And that's how they met. Really? <laughs> it's a real story, by the way. I don't believe Coco would do that. No, I mean, he was getting heat. Okay. He got, okay. I'm not even going to touch it. <laughs> I know you often try to get me to touch it, but I ain't going to touch it. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. You're a bad man, Conrad Thomas. Well, I'm, I'm sorry that you see it that way, but you'd be seeing a lot better if you just use simple contacts. They're the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. And guys, I actually did this. I renewed my prescription. I want to talk you through what this is too. You can actually take a five minute, simple contacts vision test online. I did it on my phone. That's a real thing. It was reviewed by a licensed doctor and then they got me a renewed prescription and I was able to just reorder my contacts right then. No appointments, no waiting rooms, no more overpaying. My time has been at a premium this summer. The idea that I could do this at my desk was a huge deal for me. I mean, it really is that simple. You just need your current contacts, an internet connection and 10 feet. Now the doctor's office is wherever you are. They've got all the brands, all the different types of lenses you'll need. And, uh, they've even got the vision test for just 20 bucks. 20 bucks is what your exam is shipping all your standard shipping. It's free. Now I want to make this clear. This isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need that occasionally, but man, this is the most convenient way to renew your prescription and just get those contacts on the way. It worked for me. It'll work for you. I love it. And they're offering a special offer here. $20 off your first order of contacts. Just go to simplecontacts.com forward slash wrestle and enter that code wrestle at checkout. I want to give that to you again. It's simplecontacts.com forward slash wrestle, or just put wrestle as your code at checkout. And you're going to get $20 off your first order. They just show up to your house, man. It doesn't get any easier. You don't have to go to any doctors. I love it. Simplecontacts.com forward slash wrestle, or just use the promo code wrestler. You're going to save 20 bucks. Well, you sure as hell, once you get your contacts and see big boss, man, whoop Coco's ass and holy cow was boss man just young in the big gut. And there's poor Frankie looking Coco beat Coco beat. Watch this damn sidewalk slam here. Nothing. Nothing like a feather and the big belly hanging out there. Just like, that's why you keep on thinking it's Eric rotten crotch. Why? Cause that big belly hanging out there like that. Uh, he's doing that DDPY now. There's less of that big belly. Okay. Well, good for him. I like it. I like it. Look at that garden. You know, the, the one shot that we haven't seen here that you see in every single Madison Square Garden show 
is the shot of the roof of the garden. Oh yeah. You're exactly right. And that roof is iconic. They put it on a lot of marketing material now for them. Like it's part of their logo and everything. Exactly. Oh my God. Can you imagine these guys having to pretend like they give a fuck about the ultimate warriors win here? Yeah, they do. Look at Morocco. Is Morocco in a towel? Yeah. And David, David, I'm going to smile. JYD's back there. Yeah. What exactly am I supposed to be doing back here? Fuck this guy. I should be in a continental champion. I'm going <laughs> to leave now. I'm going to be the DJ. I don't know what I'm saying because I go around the universe. I cannot work and my fucking shit is stiff. I hate I that you shit on the ultimate warrior so much. Cause I loved I'm, him as a kid. Well, that's cause you didn't fucking know him. You didn't have to work with him, man. How about the vascularity? Is there any wonder that Vince McMahon is in love with him? Sean Mooney looks like he's enamored a little bit right there. Sean Mooney looks like he's happy to get a check. By the way, Sean Mooney, who is now a big time, badass professional broadcaster out in Tucson, Arizona. Back in these So he days, wasn't a badass broadcaster here? Nah, here's what I mean. When you go back and you watch Mooney's stuff from like when he first starts, he I, I'm sure this is direction from Vince. He's just yelling everything. And then folks, tomorrow night at Market Square Arena, we've got King Kong Buddy taking on Coco Beware. Let's go to these words right now. And it was just everything's out of fucking 11. And now it's just a much more deliberate delivery. And speaking of deliberate delivery, here comes Jake, the snake Roberts with the bag and man, how over was this gimmick in 88? Fucking hell, man. The snake it... in the back. Look at that, man. My mom, you know, so much of me watching wrestling as a kid is my parents thinking, watching with me and being like, this is fucking stupid. Uh, but my mom was like, Lord, is there a snake in that bag? I mean, this gets the casual non-wrestling fans attention. Just that there is a giant snake in that bag. You don't even have to see it to know it's there. It really is pretty genius when you think about it. Yeah. to think Jake didn't want to have anything to do with that damn snake, but it was really the, the turning point in so many ways to take that gimmick to the next level and complete Jake, the snake Roberts, man. It's, uh, <laughs> just dump the fucking snake over. I don't worry about it. It's only a snake. Our snake loving uh, listeners are going to be pissed off for that one. Probably. Yeah. But then if we talk about feed, just feed the snake rabbit, then the rabbit lovers would be pissed off at us. Are we just going to see how many people we can get pissed off at us on this one? You are. Oh, okay. Well, uh, trust me. You've had your share pissed off at this. No, I'm sure I have. And but People are pissed off at me for Starcast by now. Oh, hell yeah. Definitely. All the hate tweets will go there. That's fun. But you know what? Here's the thing. Okay. If there wasn't a Starcast, it wasn't an effort to do a Starcast, and you would have nothing to hate, you would have nothing to complain about. You wouldn't have an experience of a lifetime that is a once in a lifetime experience. No, so, I, you know I agree. What? But you know, I'm, it is what it is. I'm a first time promoter, so there's going to be shit that I didn't know. I don't know what I don't know. But I'm going to find out this fucking weekend and, uh, they're, but they're going to let me know about it. You know, parking was tight and the cheeseburger wasn't cooked all the way. And, um, their room was dirty and the air conditioner quit working and all that's my fault. And the lines it were is. crazy. And, um, Tony Schiavone wasn't nice. 
And all, you know, all of that is my fault. The Tony Schiavone's not nice. Well, I'm just saying, you know, I know that you know, there's no pleasing everybody and there's like over 9,000 tickets sold to this thing. I'm going to get a lot of hate. I know what's coming. I'm one and done as a wrestling promoter. I'd, I'd rather just go back to being, you know, the baby face that everybody likes on the podcast and not the shit. When, when is that? Well, they really like me on this show. I don't know if you know that or not. No. Yeah, they do. They don't like you. They, they know you're full of shit. I'm the voice of they them. They love me. No, I'm them. Yeah. I am them. You're the liar. You're the, you're the McMahonite. No, the problem is, is that I tell the truth and I dispel all the lies that you've been fed your entire life. Well, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I think that's why people listen. And when thankfully they're listening, cause we asked them, Hey, you got any questions about SummerSlam 88 fire away? I'm going to do some right here, Bruce. Cause I don't really want to talk about this Hercules match. Do you blame me? No, nah, go ahead and fire away because they're locked in a headlock side headlock right now by Jake, the snake Roberts. And we can either talk about that or you can say, go Josh Coon wants to know how did slick come to the company? I always thought he was an underrated manager. Um, rumored innuendo was that he was like Rufus R Jones son. That is not the case. Uh, he was a manager in Kansas city and Vince got wind of him and liked him. Thought he cut a great promo and brought him up for an interview. He was, he was there before I was. So chat me up about warlord. This is a great question from Josh. Kane. he says, we hear lots of stories about barbarian and never hear anything about warlord. Warlord kind of kept to himself was a quiet guy. There's not a whole lot of, of stories about him. He, especially when you have as colorful of a partner as the barbarian that it was just what it was, man. Terry, Terry went through, didn't really bother many people. And that's really all there is to it. Not a lot of stories. Cause he didn't create a lot. Billy Staggs wants to know about the relationship between macho's household and hogan's household here of course the insinuation is that there was going to be a time that probably hasn't happened yet where liz and randy were having problems and she sort of confided in linda and hogan found himself caught in the middle what's the relationship like with randy and liz hulk and linda at this point i really don't know you know i I assume that it was cordial and that, that they did things together. But also at this time, you have to remember that the boys were on the road 300 days a year. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to be, uh, social in any, any form that you can really relate to. So, uh, I'm sure they were cordial, knew each other. And, and that was probably about it at this period. Cause it, for Randy and Liz, it was all work during this time. Matthew wants to know who thought it'd be a good idea to use superstar as a color guy. I heard him on a few house shows as well on the network and he was the shits. He was Vince really was looking for a spot for him. He couldn't do anything physically, uh, because of his hip and what have you. We tried him as a manager with Don Morocco and we were just looking for a spot for him. Dan wants to know, why did we not get Jake versus rude here? Not ready for it. That was a house show match. Michael wants to know why didn't the mega bucks counter the bikini with Virgil and a banana hammock? 
you know, we discussed that, and uh, the problem was we couldn't find a banana hammock that big, so it had to be scrapped. Horror movie barbecue wants to know. We all know how Randy felt, but was Liz... horror movie barbecue? Yeah, he came to our show in Rochester. Oh shit! Yeah, uh, I remember. I remember. We all know how Randy felt, but was Elizabeth uncomfortable with her role at the end of the night? She looked nervous and uneasy. Guys, go back and watch all of Liz's stuff. She always looked nervous and uneasy. That was her character. She's working. So obviously she did a really good job of that. Tim wants to know why were the powers of pain brought in as baby faces? Why not? Okay. Cause you had, you had heel champions and in demolition and that's where we wanted to go eventually. Uh, Chris wants to know what was the relationship between Jesse and Hulk like at this time? Was this before or after their issues with the rumored wrestlers union? Oh God, that rumored wrestlers union was so many years before that, you know, Jesse really didn't have a relationship with much of anybody. Jesse came in, did his job and went home. And during this time we were doing the voiceovers in the studio. So Jesse was only around the boys at a pay-per-view and that was it. Jesse really didn't have a relationship with Hogan at this point or anybody else for that matter. Um, Ken Patera versus bad news Brown who booked this shit. Uh, Vince Pat would have booked that. Who else was considered to beat the honky talk man besides the ultimate warrior. Wow. Uh, beefcake beefcake would have been a good intercontinental champion at that time. Anybody else? Mm, no, nah, Jake didn't need it. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of baby faces that, that were in that mix. Um, Duggan was talked about, but Duggan didn't really need it either. But the only one I really remember was beefcake. Michael wants to know how would Jim Cornette describe Elizabeth's bikini? What the fuck? Not a goddamn bikini. I don't even see fucking midriff or goddamn cleavage. Might as well be my grandma's fucking underpants. Goddamn bloomers, motherfucker. Neil wants to know. Fuck was, you. Thank you. Neil wants to know. Motherfucker. Was, thank you. Was this the first time they turned the actual damn lights on in Madison Square Garden? It always looked cheap and dirty on the MSG network shows. Um, trying to think, yes, uh, because for WrestleMania one, they had the regular garden lighting and this was our TV lighting. This may have been the first time that we actually had TV lighting in there. Jason wants to know, was Jesse Ventura's three count at the end, a shoot not to count three when Randy Savage had to force his arm down. Yeah, that was a shoot, folks. <laughs> that was uh, Jason Fields at jfields85. Thanks for listening, buddy. Uh, work, smile, humble. The WWF Superstars arcade game was heavily based off of SummerSlam 88. Have you ever played it, and do you have any memories of the boys playing it? What was the question again? It's about the old Superstars arcade game, which I fucking the love. Okay, not the pinball game. No, I it's played a- the pinball games and I played 
Yeah, I did play that. Um, of course you did. And you're actually going to be playing in the video game tournament that we've got going down at Starcast. If you haven't already, check it out at starcast.com. You can actually donate to St. Jude's. Bruce is going to be playing for charity and he's playing the brand new PlayStation 4 game, Fire Pro Wrestling World, which is obviously a sue super new game uh, that just came out. And uh, you're in there with a bunch of other wrestling personalities and uh, we auctioned off a spot to play in that tournament. And man, it's a who's who in this thing. Sean Waltman's going to be joining you. Ron Funches, Matthew from Botchamania, Noel Foley. Uh, we've got the Bears, both Barry and Bernard. And your boy from MLW, former WWE superstar Simon Grimm, will all be participating in the video game tournament. So, way back in the day, did you play this Superstars arcade game? Remember any of the boys talking about it? Yeah, we had one in the office, so I played it often, as a matter of fact. Wasn't any good at it, but definitely played it. I sure as hell didn't play with that damn snake rolling around there, man. I, ugh. Still creeps me out. I'm not a snake person. How about the finish here? Bro, perfect. Smooth as silk. Look at the crowd pop for the DDT. That DDT was over like hell, man. And now they use it as a, as a high spot and get right up from it. But man, when he hit it there, the whole crowd went banana. Exactly. Cause you, they knew, they knew the end was near. They knew they were going to see Damien. Yeah. Snake put Damien down my pants one night in the ring. How about this flashback here? What an old school graphic that is. Ooh. Right. Take you savage choke you like dog shit. Right. That's so really chalk in my hand. That's right. <laughs> yeah. what, one of the things that um, stuck out to me on these old flashbacks when we watch it back now is they blur out the word wrestling on superstars of wrestling. How crazy is that? Really? Yeah. That's weird. It is weird. So they blurred out on challenge too. If the word wrestling is in it, it's out. That's cray cray. I love Bobby Heenan just gets like one cheap shot in there. How would you describe? Oh, look at this goof. Your boy. Craig Benervini, the one that, that was, uh, that wouldn't come to our show in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. He big, he big like this. Oh, okay. Wow. There he is. He was probably 12 at that time. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Something like that. I got a joke, but I'm going to keep it to myself. Uh, let's talk about uh, some more questions here. Defense wants to know why was there a need for a special referee? Because the match was, it was mega. There was mega powers and mega bucks. You need a mega ref. Uh, this wasn't, it wasn't the bucks against the powers. It was the mega bucks against the mega powers. So you needed mega referee. Uh, why did Hogan have to win every match and always be in the main event? Cause he drew the most money. Nope. Try again. That's why. No, no. One more. Well, it's very simple. Conrad, he drew the most money and people wanted to see him pose. Therefore Hogan must pose. Thank you. We got there. Um, 
Aaron Carolla wants to know what would it sound like if Hakushi cut a mega powers promo with Savage instead of Hulk Hogan? These questions are way too long. What? Hakushi's going to cut a mega powers promo with Savage instead of Hulk Hogan. Hakushi didn't talk. Okay. You know what he means? He means oh, Shinja. Oh, we talking about Sato? I mean, yeah, he means Shinja. Oh. And when he's talking about. Never mind. This, God damn. This will be a bullshit. <laughs> These are questions. A bullshit. You must say, have Sato do the fucking thing because you question. I had to tell you, JJ. <laughs> There's brother love. There's brother love. There's brother love. And they had wrestling challenge on there. Talk to me about this SummerSlam. Do you remember what day of the week it was held on? It was on a Monday, I think. That's my question. Why? Well, because it was Monday night in the garden. What the fuck? Well, <laughs> why not? You know, that, look, there was no rhyme or reason to it. It was, we ran the garden on Monday nights. And I think that that probably had more to do with it than anything. You know, you know how dumb that answer is though, right? Why? Was WrestleMania on a Monday night? No, but it was. But it was in the garden. I mean, duh. No, you run the garden on Monday night. The garden was probably booked, and Vince wanted to run it in the garden and just said, fuck it. We'll do it on Monday night. Sunday didn't become the pay per view day for, God, another couple years. Not arguing that. Uh, Ed wants to know where does this SummerSlam rank amongst all time SummerSlams? Well, it's the original. So for me, it's up there and it was great because I was on it. You know, Top five seems like a silly question, but we got it three or four times. Did Macho Man have a problem with Elizabeth touching Hulk Hogan's chest for the poster? Oh my God. <laughs> Why, where, where did these, I, I, I don't know what what kind of thought process goes through people's minds on things like that. Folks, we're in the entertainment business. We're we're in a physical entertainment business too. So you touch people. If you got a problem with that, don't be in the business. Matt wants to know, can we pass on this and hear about Patreon and Starcast for one hundred percent of the show instead of eighty? Thanks. I'm actually fine with that. If we just wanna ignore what's going on with the rest of the show and just talk about Patreon. Because you get so much extra content over at patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. And it's only like nine bucks and Starcast now. I don't know if you heard Bruce, you can get daily passes, just 20 bucks gets you in. You got to check this out. Starcast on fight is the place to be this Labor Day weekend fight.tv forward slash Starcast. I'm sure you have more call, comments and thoughts about Patreon and Starcast. We want to make sure Matt's happy here. Well, I do because I spent probably about an hour just doing extra video stuff the other day that'll be sprinkled out all weekend long. So it's the only place to get exclusive when I'm just pondering and get my thoughts from deep within. That's inside. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. So that's the place to get it because it's exclusive to Patreon members. Kind of like Jesse Ventura coming out in that hot ass leather fucking jacket in August. Yes. Hey, so how about the kid in the front row who had the super legit macho cosplay going? Freak out, freak out, uh huh. Oh yeah, gotta love it. 
Jesse doesn't keep this thing on the whole time, does he? Well, you're going to find out, aren't you? Yeah, we are. Dave wants to know what sound did Andre make in the ring when Elizabeth unveiled the secret weapon? Dr. Delicious, this is the hard hitting stuff we need here. Any truth to the rumor that Virgil was going to be given a run with the world title after this pay-per-view or was he just one of those guys that didn't need it? Hashtag meat sauce. Oh yeah. We were, we were going to have Virgil just actually in this particular matchup, we were going to have him beat Andre DiBiase and then, uh, do the old flapjack on Hogan and Savage beat. He was going to pile them up and beat them together. I mean, it makes sense. So you open the pay-per-view with him. This is true. Oh, I shit on you. You know, Andre was giant. Really? Was he? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he was. I I really, I don't, I don't know that I knew that. I appreciate you telling us that. Yeah. And as Bobby Heenan said, he didn't sweat. He molted. That's fucking funny. So uh, Jesse took the jacket off Jake Roberts. I should mention uh, his match with Hercules got a star and a quarter and here comes your main event. And how about this iconic look, the yellow and red with the mega powers. Yep. Passing the grill position. As you saw, there were just the two monitors. There's Jim Troy in the uh, entryway there. Um, yeah, yeah, that was the. That was the follow garden follow, man. If, if the director at Madison square garden could have used that for every entrance, he would have. Why did he like it so much? I don't know. I guess taking people backstage, just give them a peek behind the curtain. I like it. It makes it special. I dig it. I I love that mega powers Cape that Savage has. I do too, but I love the trunks. I love the Hulk rule shirt. I mean, this is what I grew up on. This is my favorite look for these guys. Red and yellow, yellow and red. Uh-huh. Freak out, freak out. Yeah. Here we go. Uh-huh. As I mentioned, yeah, this- um, Jake and Herc got a star and uh, a quarter. Bossman and Coco Ware got a star in three quarters. What we're about to see here, believe it or not, it gets two and three quarters. Well, that's just stupid. Why was Liz, was Liz not the most beautiful valet that there ever was? No, Sonny was no, you're wrong. No, Liz was. How about the Velcro on macho man's world title right there? He's taking the snaps off of that, uh, Reggie parks belt. And now he's got Velcro easy access brother. Uh huh. Yeah. First name, macho last name, man. Check out the mega powers. Uh huh. How about, uh, how about a tuxedo shirt? Got the Tony Clifton look rocking here. <laughs> I say I was going to go with the Jerry Seinfeld puffy shirt. Yeah. The pirate shirt. Yeah. The pirate shirt. Yeah. The puff, the puffy shirt and Heenan actually pulling out, you know, this is during a time that Bobby was, was trying to go to, uh, to easier to carry wear, but for pay-per-views, he'd break out the, uh, the nice sport coats. Jesse actually wants to be a good referee here. Lots of questions about why he was the guest referee. It's because he had so much damn star power at the time. That was it, man. And it, this was the, the summer of, um, predator. Really? I ain't got time to bleed. Yeah. I think, I, 
I think it was. If it wasn't Predator, it was Running Man. But he had a, he had had a big uh, movie out this summer, so that was one of the reasons to capitalize on that with him. Big star, big star. Uh oh, what the hell's happening here? Checking the turnbuckle. What's going on? Oh, he's oh he had to move the tag to the other There you go. He's being super yeah. legit, taking his time. Well, you got to get your time in, brother. Uh, Meltzer, well, whoever put the fucking tag rope, they put the tag ropes in the wrong corner. Oh, see, you know what? Hey, we got to go back to that question. looks like there's some legitimate heat there between Jesse and Hogan. That's why Jesse changed ropes just to piss Hogan off for this match from that heat way back when. Let me ask you here. Uh, Meltzer called this quote, the most forgettable event in the brief history of pay-per-view wrestling. Your thoughts? Fuck him. He's an idiot. Meltzer speculating that uh, the pay-per-view is purchased by about 450,000 homes on pay-per-view and going to grow somewhere between seven and $8 million, which would have meant a boatload of cash for the WWF. Of course, the WWF claims 880,000 homes and $11 million. What say you, was this considered a huge success internally? It was considered a huge success internally. Yes, very much so. Everybody was happy with it. Around the same time, your boy, Ron Trongard, who was an AWA announcer, came to the WWF briefly. Didn't last very long. What's up with that? Well, Rod had a great, that great radio and announcer voice. I'm Ron Trongard. Um, Vince loved his voice. He had, he had a face for radio. He was an older gentleman, really super nice guy. But his time had passed, and he wasn't really able to keep up the pace. He wasn't able to do uh, all the traveling that was required. Rod had been a mainstay for Vern Gagne in the AWA and uh, never really had to travel the way that we needed him to travel. And it just took his toll on him, and he was also sick. He, he had cancer. And um, that was it. We should mention here that, um, a couple of weeks after this, Arn and Tully quit the NWA and immediately dropped the tag titles to the midnight express on a house show in Philadelphia. And they come to the WWF right after, uh, and it's not too terribly long after that, that, um, we see Ted Turner buy out Jim Crockett promotions. What do you remember about Arn and Tully coming in? Um, Man, just that, you know, the, the, the Crockett was having issues and best of my yeah, recollection was that it was money issues that they looked to, to come in come into greener pastures. So everybody was happy about, um, Arn and Tully coming in. I thought it was a, a good deal for them to come in. I remember when Ted Turner purchased the NWA calling Vince, like, Hey Vince, I'm in the wrestling business now. I just bought me a wrestling company. And Vince congratulated him and said, we're in the entertainment business, Ted. Good luck to you. That was it. What's Andre's physical position or condition like at this time? 
You know, he, I think Andre would argue and tell you he was fine, but it, it was deteriorating. I, he wanted to work more, but you could tell he just couldn't do a whole lot of things, man. He couldn't do more. So, um, and when I say Andre wanted to work more, what Andre really wanted was to be on the road. Right. Andre, Andre just wanted to be out. He wanted to be around the boys and he wanted to be, be moving. Um, but as you see, you know, Ted's in there for, for the purpose of working and, and the boss was there to be a giant, come in and choke somebody when he needed to. You got three, uh, really good working shape dudes here though. DiBiase and Savage have become very familiar with each other, both regarded as being two of the tops. Obviously Hogan knows how to pull his own weight. So really you don't have that much to sort of cover up. No, you don't. And that was, it was by design. You also had on the outside for distractions and, and things to do. You had Heenan and Virgil and of course, Elizabeth. So this wasn't looking to have, you know, whatever you want to call your 18 star match, what have you. This was a story. This was about building the relationship between Hulk Hogan and the macho man and telling the story, you know, of, of Andre and Hogan and continuing that along. So this was to start that underneath shit to get us to WrestleMania. So as, you, as you'll see here at the end, and it was all nuances. Um, so yeah, it's, it's about telling stories and you have to start somewhere. And this was a start. When you look at when you look at the totality of everything, that's why I get upset with people. It's like, okay, you didn't like that. You'll understand it when we get to the to the very end of the story, and you'll understand why we did certain things that we did. And Andre did this well. He liked to choke. I hold on to trapezius. I stand here and Hogan sold. And Jesse reft. <laughs> you know, what's funny is this really doesn't age well, but at the time people were into it unless you were Dave Meltzer. Yeah. People were into it. I mean, th this was the biggest story and the, the, the gardens going nuts and Hulk is, I mean, he is the biggest star in the business and a simple spot, you know, Andre choking Hogan. And the funny part about it is, is Andre is choking the living fuck out of him right now with his shoulder strap. Yeah. For real. Yes. For real. Yeah. And laughing about it. So, but you've got, you have the four biggest stars in the company right now in, in a tag team match. And, it was, you know, this was all new with SummerSlam and it was, this was an experiment and one that obviously worked out well so that we're still having SummerSlam today. Um, Got to start somewhere, people. This is that one of the slow two count. So, yeah, I mean, he's a heel. He's a heel. Well, that's why it was Hogan down. He should have counted faster. So watch. Oh, that's good to be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's bullshit. Overall, you know, WrestleMania is still the number one show. 
when you guys are done with this, do you think that Survivor Series is still the number two show or has SummerSlam replaced it? Um, tell you what, SummerSlam, the feeling coming off of this was we had was a that we have to do it again. Um, I think in our minds, still because Survivor was first, that Survivor was probably the second most important, you know, big show on pay per view. Again, we only had three at this point, but still it was, it was considered that, that survivor was, was still the, you know, the important one. Not that they all weren't important. As far as the agents at the time, you know, Pat, who else would have been an agent at the time? Lanza, Strongbow, Goulet, Gurria. Um, didn't have Jim Myers yet, but those are the main ones. Um, yeah, Dave Hebner was an agent, but mainly, you know, Lanza Strongbow were the two main agents. Adam, ah. Adam wants to know is the opening match with the Bulldogs and Rougeau's not one of the best quote unquote curtain jerker matches ever. I thought it was very good. I thought so too. Yeah, definitely. It's not, you know, and I hate that term curtain jerker. It, it, you know, it's, it's a way, it's how you start your show. Right. You either start it in a good way or if, if it's a curtain jerker match to me, that's a negative connotation and it's a shitty match. I don't think it was a shitty match. And we tried to open up with damn good matches. Francis wants to know who came up with the SummerSlam poster. Probably the art department events with, with, uh, Hogan and I mean, Hogan and Savage on there with Liz. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that very, very early on. And I remember that was one of those instances of Vince being so particular about the color of blue. And I'm thinking, you know, it's blue. It's a light, you know, it's kind of a light blue. No, I want that royal blue. I want this, you know, shade different and looked at all these different shades. And I was amazed at the attention to detail that he had on what I had considered at the time, you know, little things, but they were big to him. Up top, uh huh, freak out, double X count, bitch. Not gonna cover him yet. Uh uh-uh, uh, because I'm not done. Ryan wants to know with this being JYD's last pay per view for the WWF, what did you think of his run there overall and why did he leave? I thought JYD had a good run and JYD was just, you know, ready to move on. I think that at the time, you know, Crockett was looking for Dog and wanted Dog to come in. And I think guys always feel that the grass is greener on the other side. But I thought it was run. He had a good run. Michael wants to know how far out was it planned that Honky Tonk Man would lose the Intercontinental title to Warrior? Was it discussed right after WrestleMania 4? No, it was not discussed after WrestleMania 4. I don't think that was really discussed until the middle of the summer. And I don't know when. I, I can't pinpoint exactly when it was. I never heard about it till middle of the summer. Jeremy wants to know is it safe to say that Hogan and Savage was the rock and Austin of the 80s? Well, I think people would say that Rock and Austin were the Hogan and Savage. You know, every now and again, somebody will ask the stupidest fucking question. <laughs> but 
I still want to read it. Can I give you the dumbest? Of course, of course you do. You're tickled. Look at you. You're tickled. You're fucking giggling again. Jareth writes, <laughs> did Hogan shave his dong? <laughs> did Hogan shave his dong in the late 80s? Rumor and innuendo would lead you to believe that he kept it all natural, according to Meltzer in the dirt sheets. Meltzer would write, Hogan is gone. <laughs> What is wrong with you? Why are people? I will never understand <laughs> your fascination. With I'm reading a question. It's hilarious to me that somebody would ask that. It's almost as hilarious as our ad. We, our ad read last week, which by the way, um, got over in a big way. Is that the most hilarious ad we've ever done? Do you think? I mean, that, uh, yeah, that could be. And, and I have gotten so much response from people that I didn't even know. Listen to the show. Who are interested in stretching a little bit, using a little gradual tension. Well, so that's what I said. I said, you know, it's interesting. That's the one thing you bring up out of all the things I've ever said on the show and done on the show that this you bring up. I didn't even know you were a listener, but now I know that you need a little yeah. stretching action. Exactly. You said you liked it. I mean, yeah, I'll never forget. You told me you'd been using it for years, so I had to try it. Well, I, I haven't, but. I imagine it's all good and Hulk hulking up by God. Cause ain't nobody can sell like the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. What a great camera angle that is. I love that. I feel like it was only used to no holds barred and right there. Really? I hate it. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. I, I like, I like the, uh, I, I just like a different version of it. I, I wasn't, I don't want to look at it straight like this. I want to see it from the angle over a pole. I don't know why. But I think just because it's different like that right there. I love that angle. Like if I was in the crowd, that'd be a great seat to have. But it at home on television, you don't want to be in the crowd. I kind of do. Well, then go be in the crowd, but it's in New York and I'm seven. Well, j tell mom and dad to get off the couch and take you to New York. How many times did your parents take you to New York for wrestling when you were seven? Well, three, that's three more than mine. Three okay. more than mine. Well, those headbutts hurt. Hogan hated when he grabbed his hair like that. Because he's got so little left. It's coming out. Well, yeah. That's why you should go to fourhims.com. Oh my God. They're not even a sponsor this week. Oh, well, still. We'll give him a cheap plug. But you didn't now look at the attention to detail. You see the rug on the outside of the ring. It's still there. When they're out there selling and, and my rug is still just bundled up on the side of the ring. They didn't even move it. And and you think and you look at those things now and go, Oh my God, but that's how we learned. Uh oh, there's the weasel. Weasel's up. Liz is on the apron. Is this their secret weapon? Everybody's looking. By the way, I should mention this segment of the show. Oh Brock my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Still to this day, it gets me. Nobody needs Zynga Pro now. Oh, hell no. Look at that. Itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, yellow. Wait a minute. It's red and yellow, and there's no polka dots, and it's not even a bikini. Yeah, it's not a bikini. It's not yellow. There are no polka dots. And the baby faces are using a girl flashing herself as a it distraction. Worked. And they're shaking hands on the outside of the ring. The big stupid handshake, which is awesome, but dumb. 
And here they come. Uh-huh. And she threw her skirt in his face like a heel. Everything about Hogan in this era is like subtle heel, but still a baby face. Here comes the body slam. Now the big elbow drop. Not before I point. Uh huh. There you go. Drop that leg, bitch. <laughs> uh huh. And this is the shoot right yeah, here. This is the shoot right here. <laughs> Jesse did not do it. Savage said, yeah, you're going to do it. You're going to count to three because that's what we do. Uh-huh. And here's the spot we talked about recently where Liz comes in, tries to get Macha's attention, patting him on the back once, twice. He sort of shoes her away. Get out of here. So she goes over to celebrate with Hogan. Hogan's got nothing but love for her. Picks her up. Twirls it, her around. Uh, and now you see a shot of Macho Man seeing what's going on here as Hogan's holding her up. And he sees what's going on and comes back, puts his arms out like, what the hell? And she gives him a hug. That's right, brother. And Hogan, oblivious, shakes his hand, raises his arm. But now Hogan's spinning her skirt around his head. Yeah. Wait a minute. That costs a lot of money. Can we get the skirt back, brother? And put it into a different outfit. Uh-huh. It's amazing. Macho's gonna pose. Oh, yeah. I think I'll pose to here in a minute, brother. So they're happy again. They're mega powers. Nothing can divide the mega powers. Well, there you go, man. I'm pretty excited about... Um, SummerSlam 1988, obviously the very first SummerSlam, a very important show in company history and one of my earliest wrestling memories. Overall, you're going to say this is top five SummerSlams? Yep. I am, because it was the first. It was the first, it's memorable, and it set the stage for the rest. And it started the beginning of a great one of the greatest stories ever told. We've covered it to death and, uh, this show was a missing link. And of course we covered it most recently, uh, here today because we're right out, right upon the 30 year anniversary, which is clearly a very, very big deal. 30 years. Yeah. It's crazy. Wait a minute. I was 25. That would make me 35. Yeah. If you were 25, then you had 30 to that and you're 35 now. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. And your kids, they're both 19. So you had them when you were a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Yeah. That's what but, I thought. But yet you still ache and creep and crack. And he went to work for Vince McMahon here as a Ute. As a young Ute. As a 24 year old kid, by God. If you haven't already, go check us out on Patreon. We're going to have some bonus content for you, some behind-the-scenes action from StarCast. And There's a hand on the ass. There it was. We've also got uh, lots of interesting things, like uh, on Thursday, Bruce, uh, which was last night, and it's still up there on Twitch, we had footage of PCO's live exhibition from the Twitch stream. You can check it out at twitch.tv forward slash StarCast. And you can pre-order the rest of the days or just go ahead and pick up yesterday on a day pass right now 
at fight.tv forward slash starcast. Bruce, that's going to do it for me, man. I'm looking forward to uh, getting to hang out with you, and hopefully we're still on speaking terms after the roast later today. No guarantees. But there is I a guarantee. just be top one. Well, 50-50 at best. Uh, I don't okay. know. I don't know why I'm doing math because apparently Scott Steiner's looking for me and he's doing math that he's going to bitch slap me. So this might be the last something to wrestle. I hope it's not. And if it's not, we'll be back right here next week on something to wrestle with I'm Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.